going to try to convince me to save the world. Some of our ideas are a bit ambitious. I know how hard this is for you to hear. Government should be afraid of their people. You got the makings of greatness in you. What we do in life echoes in eternity. If you could see your whole life from start to finish. We would be given a choice to betray our chosen destinies. I have to believe in a world outside my own mind. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Love is the one thing that transcends dimensions of time and space. Are you watching closely? Welcome, my beautiful, wonderful listener, to the Talking About Talking podcast, where we talk about everything and anything, and we talk about talking about those things. Today, I am joined by Javier Colon, an adventure cyclist who ended up being on Netflix's new survival show, Outlast. Thank you for joining me, Javier. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Hey, uh, who needs a sleeping bag anyways? right i mean what's the deal right it depends on how tough you want um to rough it out in the woods really yeah, yeah i guess <laughs> it might uh so let's start i'm sure we're, we're gonna get into all that stuff i want to start with like where the hell did you get these skills because you're like talking about kissing oysters and your lips going numb and you're explaining like not a uh, heartwood uh, i don't think heartwood's the right phrase but you're explaining oh, fatwood fatwood fat that's it yeah you're explaining fatwood to your butt your teammates and stuff like wh where did you learn all this um it all basically started uh when i went from backpacking and i thought backpacking was a little bit too slow for me and then i transitioned to cycle touring and uh i basically put um my bags on on a bicycle and then went really long distances and when cycling those distances sometimes well oftentimes you end up in areas that there's nothing there's no food there's no um fresh water sources so learning all these survival skills came out of necessity to help me uh basically cycle into the vast nothingness of uh of many countries so i jump on a bike and i go and uh i i may take some food and water with me but oftentimes i run out of that and then i have to start picking things up out of the ground, picking up roadkill and cleaning my own water. I'm so uh, roadkill. I learned by doing. This. Yeah, roadkill is. Uh, it's easy. It's an easy kill, really. It's been <laughs> killed for you. All you have to do is pull off the feathers or fur and, and enjoy. Jesus, how do you know how old that roadkill is? So there, there's a few easy things to do. Is uh, you check the blood and you, of course, you see if it's warm still. But if it's in the in the the, the daylight and it's it's uh, under sunlight, it's still going to be warm. You check for rigor mortis to see if the if it's really stiff. If the joints are still moving, then it's been recently killed. Uh, even if it has rigor mortis, you can sometimes eat it. You kind of got to do the bug check to see if there's any bugs in it, to see if it's bloated, to see if it's starting to to get big. Um, and a smell test is also good. If it smells like iron, like fresh blood, then it, it typically is good. It hasn't turned yet. Um, I haven't gotten to the point where I'm desperate enough to eat, eat roadkill. That's bad. But in the event that you're in an extreme situation, you wouldn't eat the roadkill. You'd actually eat the maggots that was eating the roadkill. Oh because then you could put those maggots in uh, boiling water or in a pan and, and you could cook them and you won't get sick because the maggots are actually full of of a lot of protein but i haven't done that yet. that's fascinating that's <laughs> <laughs> I, I i gotta say I, you did not spark my appetite with that one i'm not <laughs> not <laughs> eager for dinner right now okay that's so so super interesting though and i love that what you're talking about is like you're basically living a modern lifestyle where these survival skills are necessary because i'm sure have you seen the show alone no i have not oh, okay and the producer of outlast actually created alone but oh, I, i've never watched any survival shows at all yeah i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure you've had it mentioned to you a hundred thousand times now um the i've i've been thinking about how like having those survival skills 
is a really cool and unique and kind of a niche thing. But I kind of in the back of my head thought, yeah, but you know, it's not really practical unless you're going to go and like purposefully live out in the middle of nowhere on your own for a duration of time. And then it would apply. Then it would be useful. But you're talking about this lifestyle of traveling long distances on a bicycle and those skills genuinely coming into play. That's really neat. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of people forget that you only need to go outside of a major city a few hours and you hit countryside. So if you can get on a bicycle and ride for one or two days and be in the middle of nothingness, which the majority of the world is like that, how will you survive? How will you get water? How will you make sure that um, you can eat? Mm. So in the event of anything really going sour, for instance, the pandemic, can you survive? If, if things really went terribly wrong for us and um, the pandemic was far worse than, than it was, how long can you survive? And uh, when people realize and overcome that fear, then uh, you get a inner peace and uh, you feel that you could survive in any situation. Yeah, dude. And that's a, a nice that's a nice feeling actually. yeah i love that i love that because like that's i've been thinking about that a lot since the pandemic i've after the whole pandemic happened and although it wasn't yeah. everything they made it out to be it just kind of made me think with like the supply chains and all that stuff i was just kind of because yeah. i have a baby girl now and she's like 13 months and i I've, I've been thinking shit if everything goes south in some way shape or form some apocalypse nuke goes off super volcano yeah. whatever it is how am i going to be able to keep my family alive and happy you know and that's a big reason why i want these kind of skills a lot more of them at least um where so you're talking about this practical application of these skills so then did you just find yourself like in situations where you needed them and then you went and learned them on your own or like where did you actually learn the skills themselves so i i failed many times i got into situations where uh it, it, they were tough and I had to learn and but I had to ask local people for instance um, so my first trip on a bicycle big tour uh, was Iceland and I thought Iceland is a modern country Iceland you know has a, a, a fantastic economy but when you get on a bicycle and ride into the nothingness for days mm -hmm. I started to realize maybe I didn't bring enough food <laughs> <laughs> I went oh my goodness I was eating cans of tuna and I was thinking oh I'm not going to dump the tuna water because I, I think I need to drink that water. You start to ra ration everything and you go, well, I, I better not cut off that piece of fat off of the sausage that I have. I don't really like it, but I'm going to have to eat it. Yeah. You really start to just consume everything and look at food as energy for the bi the bicycle ride. That's my fuel. So uh, I'm the hungry guy on a bicycle because I ride to eat and I eat to ride. It's like a, a, a circle. Um, and I love to eat also. So it's a passion. I'm combining two passions. And uh, uh, the more I eat, the more I can ride. When I'm not on my bike, I just get a little fat. <laughs> then I get up my bike and I, I narrowed down a little bit. So that Iceland trip was unique because I did run out of and I was way out in the middle of nothing. And then you start to see and, and, and you, you go an opportunity. There's a house in the distance really far away. And you think I have to go to the house. So you ride to the house, get there and there's nobody there. But there's a sign on the door and it's in Icelandic, but also English and German, too. And the door said uh, that the sign said, help yourself to anything in the house. We understand that these are harsh conditions. You may sleep in the house. If it's raining, please make sure the sheep don't come inside. What? And 
the whole house is open. And so I'm thinking this is a totally different perspective. I'm in someone's home and they may be out gathering sheep or their horses and they have to spend days collecting them in the countryside, but they allow you to sleep in their house because they understand the brutal environment that they live in. So I spent a night there. It was raining. I made sure the sheep didn't get in. They were all on the porch. <laughs> and then uh, I tried not much, but I, I ate some of the dry food they had there and drank the water. And I loaded up extra water because I actually ran out. And it's those situations that make you think. First, they make you realize the kindness of, of strangers, of other people realizing that you may have done something silly because <laughs> you're on an adventure and you don't know where you're going. And I'm sure these people deal with this monthly <laughs> yeah. because I so wild and amazing. And so they, they put that sign up there for a reason in English and in German. And so you realize the kindness of, of, of people. And then you realize I shouldn't put myself in this situation again because I might not have somebody this kind to help me or I might not even find another person for a long time. So how will I not get myself in this situation? And then that's when you start to actually learn and ask local people and say, hey, so how would I find water if I didn't find the house? And then they would they would explain to you, you could do this, you could do that. Uh, be careful drinking this water because you're on a volcanic uh, country. And if you drink a water, it could have a lot of minerals that can make you sick. So there's a lot of things that you got to be cautious of in different environments. And asking locals how they live is the easiest way to learn. You don't always have Google to to uh, or reception to yeah. to search for something in the countryside. Yeah, that's fascinating. That that is such an incredible uh, gesture of kindness for them to have that house available for you. I can't even imagine yeah. what the hell would have been going through your mind when you read that sign. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so spooky, man. Yeah, that's... it feels sometimes because I grew up in the United States. And something like that, to have a door open. And, you know, the first thing I think of is, oh, my God, they can get robbed. What? This mm -hmm. is crazy. But it, it, it makes you feel sad to to think that because reality is, is they live way out in the countryside on an island in the middle of nowhere. Who would rob these people? Yeah. Why would you rob them? No, nobody's going to rob would them. You take any so then when you get over that trust issue, you realize how beautiful it is that they're sharing things with you. And then you naturally don't want to take too much. So you, mm -hmm. you naturally just want to only take what you need. And of course, you could leave some money if you want a donation. Normally, that's not necessary. But you try and clean up your mess. Mm-hmm. And uh, you try to give back. And so it's kind of like pay it forward. They helped you. And in the future, when I have a ranch and somebody gets lost and comes to my ranch, they're going to have a place to, to stay and some water to, to take care of themselves. And uh, I, I think I would rather live in that type of culture in that type of society. And that's not only Iceland. I've encountered this in uh, the, the Altiplano of Bolivia, too, with an uh, empty house and, uh, and a similar sign. Not English and German and Spanish, but uh, same concept. Mm -hmm. So these people exist around the world and have for forever. That's freaking awesome. A lot of what you're talking about reminds me of the book Tribe by Sebastian Junger. Have you read that? Oh, no, I haven't. I highly recommend it. The basic premise is that we're like, we're all human and we should all be out to help each other. And people yeah. make up make up conflicts that really don't exist because they're lacking conflicts. And we do better when we have some sort of adversity in life and that kind of stuff. Um, you were talking about like living off the land as you're riding around on your bike bicycle. It just makes me wonder what kind of stuff do you carry with you? Like, do you have like a life straw or anything like that? Or any like what are your what are your like must have few gadgets or something? something so this is after uh, 17 years of of traveling by m on my bicycle around the world and i've really tried to narrow down my gear so um i do have a good tent uh i do have a very good sleeping bag i have um uh, uh, sleeping bags water who needs them 
Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I I even use it when it's uh when it's uh not uh, uh cold. Not Alaska. So, yeah. Sleeping bag is incredibly uh, uh essential, essential uh, top ten items to have. And then um I also have an emergency bivy because uh that's waterproof and Sorry, what's uh, a bivy? I, I, tend I should to, know. So if anything happens to my sleeping bag, um I have this little waterproof sack that is pretty much you could uh, use without a, a tent. So. You can stuff your sleeping bag in there, and mm. uh, you could survive. Oh, okay. It's um, it's like a, like a, a, a reflective material. Yeah, it's kind of a cocoon, and only your face is exposed. Yeah, yeah. When it's sealed up, okay. and it's completely watered. So I carry that because my tent was destroyed in different locations. Hmm. New Zealand, it, it got destroyed because of a pretty much a, a I guess a typhoon hit the the coast, Damn. and it it broke the poles on my my sleeping bag. So I had to get into the bivy and uh, with my sleeping bag, and and I, I stayed dry and and uh, I was okay. So I have um, that those three things: tent, sleeping bag, emergency waterproof bivy, and then I do have a water filtration. Uh, there's many brands out there. I have one that you pour in uh, two liters of water and it slowly trickles through. It cl clears out all the bacteria. And then I have a little uh, charcoal filter to take away any nasty flavors. Um, I always I, I use that for most water in any any situation, even if I get it water out of a tap. Um, if I'm in an area that I'm not sure, even a developed country, I don't want to get sick. I might not be used to it. So I, I run it through the filter hmm. um, and I have a small uh, propane stove. Uh, I mostly boil water in that little pot and then I pour that water into another pan and, and kind of mix it with uh, either dry soy or oats or something uh, and I always carry kind of dry oats or dry uh, soy with like a some bouillon cubes for flavor mm. a lot of tuna a lot of soybeans they're easy they're in tin cans I try to pack them for uh, long trips and then um, I have a knife I have uh, a solar charger and that also charges up a backup battery and then I have my phone which normally works in most situations and uh, the sun typically charges the phone in one day with my solar charger and then um, yeah I guess the essential gear rain gear rain jacket rain ja rain pants um a one warm layer some long johns um some essential tools to fix the bike and uh that yeah i could survive with that yeah that sounds like that's it, it. Sounds like you're all set, but yeah, it also doesn't sound like too heavy, which is obviously no, not optimal. Too, not too heavy at all, um, especially when you could throw it on the bike. It's not too heavy. Yeah. When you're talking you about... You add more water depending on how far you go. Uh, and sometimes I've been in situations where because I've been in deserts and I didn't have run water and I, I, I was in a desperate situation, I tend to, if I'm going somewhere where I don't really know the area, I tend to just carry massive amounts of water for safety. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, like fifteen liters yeah. throw it on the bike. Yeah, that that's smart. I would say. Uh, you you mentioned eating a lot of tuna. Like every day you eat tuna. I actually uh, tuna is expensive, but sardines are cheaper. Okay. So it depends on the country you go to, but I I do pound a lot of sardines. Okay. I just open the cans and eat them. Yeah. And uh, if I could buy uh, uh, sardines with. Uh, like mustard or, or some kind of tomato sauce. It just adds flavor. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll get a whole loaf of bread. And so I'll, I'll eat sardines and bread a yeah. lot. Well, I was asking because tuna is pretty high in mercury content. And if you're eating like yeah. 
a ton of tuna that would be concerning have you ever got uh, your like have you ever eaten an amount for like a duration of time that would be concerning tuna no not tuna it's uh it's because i eat more sardines okay because sardines are pretty low sardines you don't really need yeah. to be concerned about i just had to google that because i was like where do sardines fall but yeah i remember hearing like tony robbins talking about eating a swordfish and tuna salad every day and then end up getting freaking mercury poisoning oh really yeah like his wow tony robbins is like sharp as a tack and his memory was going and he wasn't able to focus on anything and then he got his heavy metals tested and his doctor emergency called him it's pretty interesting to hear huh. so um you said you work as like because i was i was wondering like how the hell do you make money and on the other thing you said you work as a handyman around san francisco and then you just like save money and travel around and i love that yeah. for like uh i love that you're doing like what do you i think you're I think you said you were 42, something like that. Yeah, I'm 42. Yeah. So like you're 42 and you're doing this and there's plenty of people that are like in their low 20s and they're like, I just want to adventure the world. And you're like, here's a very practical way of doing that. You know, you know I, I think people, uh, they hesitate, they hesitate, they're hesitant about listening to any advice I give because it does sound very easy. And it is. It, it doesn't have to be expensive to travel the world it's as easy as riding a bicycle mm, and that's pretty easy and i'm sure you don't have to eat roadkill if you're gonna do this <laughs> you don't have to so i did a trip from uh the canadian border with the u.s all the way to the tip of argentina mm. so that was over eighteen thousand miles and it took me two years mm -hmm. to complete i only spent fifteen thousand dollars on that trip yeah that's fifteen thousand dollars in two years. Yeah, that's fascinating. So people go, oh, you know, you must be a really wealthy, trust fund baby. And some people have uh, had the audacity to say that I depend on people's donations to travel the world. Like I'm one of those Instagram influencers. <laughs> no, I never had followers until after this Outlast uh, yeah. show. Before the Outlast, I had like 1,700 people on, on Instagram. And th most of those people I actually met on the road traveling. But uh, now, yeah, I'm getting more attention because of the show but uh and people are buying me beers now so yes i nice. appreciate if you bought me a beer thank you for buying me a beer <laughs> uh but i i uh i grew up in a very poor city i mean i'm in uh, my hometown now youngstown ohio uh you're in toronto i'm actually four and a half hours from you i've gone to toronto many times i think i think i'm closer i'm uh just an oh. hour out from windsor oh okay yeah so, so I, I thought, hour out from I thought, detroit okay yeah well see, you're pretty close yeah but um, so we're in the Rust Belt here and uh, Youngstown uh, kind of had hard times when in the 80s, all the steel mills left and they started making steel in Japan. So the, the industry was destroyed. People were depressed. And uh, I grew up in a neighborhood where all the young families left. So I didn't have a lot of people my own age. Uh, what I ended up doing was I fell in love with a, a travel show uh, called uh, Lonely Planet with Ian Wright was the British travel uh, extraordinaire. He would grab a backpack and he would go hop on a truck and hitchhike and he'd eat crazy things. And I just love this show. And I, I, I thought, okay, mom, I'm gonna, I'm gonna travel the world when I'm older. And she's like, honey, you can do whatever you want just as long as you get your education. And I said, okay, I'm gonna get my education in something. And so the only thing, cause here in the US, they just give you the idea that you have to go to college, but nobody actually prepares you. They never actually try to See what your passions are if you really want to enjoy the thing that you're studying so when i left high school i was thinking okay i'm gonna go to college 
I had a full scholarship. What am I gonna What am I gonna study? And I just thought business. Okay, businessmen make money. I guess I'll do business. Mm. So I studied business, and then after that, I I realized that I could travel while studying. So I did some travel abroad programs, and then uh, after my graduation from with my bachelor's, I moved to Denmark because Denmark offered a free education. So I went to Copenhagen, and I was living in Denmark and studying for free and studying business again. So I'm studying business, and I'm thinking, okay, I I'm gonna travel more. So I started. Started backpacking while in Europe, and I started. Uh, uh, that's when I started cycling because I was in Denmark. That's a bike-friendly city, and I started touring on my bike. And then um, I, I started realizing I don't really like this business stuff. I'm not gonna work in an office. I'm not gonna wear a suit and tie. And I don't. I don't have a desire to do this. So we came up with an idea. Uh, where when I went to East Africa, and uh, I realized just by cycling around that many nonprofit organizations over there working with children, they, they, they're kind of working uh, unknown. Nobody knows about them. Mm. And so I was thinking the only way you could really find these places is if you jump in a Jeep or a four-wheel drive and you go and find these little villages and meet these people. And I thought, or you just jump on a bike and you could start riding. So I created an organization called Wheels of Action. And uh, we started, uh, we, we were a small group of uh, uh, Danish and, and Swedish business students. And we were located in, in at the Copenhagen Business School in a little tiny office that was given to us. We were coming up with these ideas how to network. The whole idea was creating networks. And within networks, we can share ideas and 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 create some, some significant uh, power through information. And um, I love, it wasn't making money. I would go to Denmark and do side jobs. I was working as a waiter at the Hilton and the Radisson. And, you know, they pay very good money in Denmark. So I was making $35, $40 an hour. Damn. But I was saving all that. And then I'd leave and go to East Africa, which is very inexpensive. So on a budget of just a waiter's salary, I was able to live and, and run and help these projects and, and organizations with street kids and orphans. Um, so I go and I, I in 2009, I went home for Christmas back here to Youngstown. And uh I had completed a project in 2009 in Tanzania for over 750 kids, and I loved it. It was a passion. It was really, I thought, my calling. But then uh, I was going to, uh, I had a flight back to Copenhagen on February 6th, 2010. February 3rd, a drunk driver caused a crash that killed a friend of mine and destroyed my pelvis and, and both legs. Holy shit. So I was crushed hard and um, everything changed. I, uh, I, I I was faced with a, a, a question whether I keep my leg or, or have it removed. And the doctors wanted to amputate my leg at the hip, my right leg, because it was completely destroyed and crushed. And so um, my brother at the time was a police officer in this city and he got back into emergency. Normally, family would never see somebody in this situation. But because he was a police officer in his out uniform, he got back in emergency and he told me the doctor's going to cut your right leg off Jeez. and i was sitting there in the bed thinking no no that's, that's not possible my whole life was flashing before my eyes and i was thinking i i gotta ride my bicycle again i gotta go exploring and i'm not done yet and so they pushed me into the surgery room and i see the doctor there he's prepared for surgery he's got his gloves on and i'm screaming at him and the anesthesiologist is on my left hand playing with it and about to give me the, the the drugs that knock me out and i scream at the doctor and i say doctor look at doctor look at me. he won't turn around and i said doc fucking look at me. and he turned around and, and looks at me and he says what and i said don't cut off my leg if you cut off my leg i will kill myself and then the doctor, the anesthesiologist, injected the drugs in me. I felt the burning go up my arm. And as soon as it hit my chest, I was out. 
So the surgery was six hours. They take me out. I wake up some hours later. The nurse comes running to the bed and she says, okay, calm down, calm down. And I go to look at my leg and it's there. And the nurse said, honey, you scared the shit out of the doctor. <laughs> when you're going to kill yourself, he did everything he could to save your leg. Now it's washed and cleaned and ready for another surgery. We're waiting for a doctor from the Cleveland Clinic, which is one of the best hospitals in the country, in the US. The doctor's going to come here and he's going to put your leg back together because the first doctor didn't have the skill to put your leg back together. So I waited like 12 hours. Another doctor came to the hospital. He put my leg back together in another six hour surgery. Afterwards, he came into the room and he says, boy, that was uh, one of the most challenging surgeries I've had. And I've had a lot of surgeries. And he says, I put your leg back together, but you're not going to be able to use it. And I told him, I will walk again. I will use my leg. And he says, well, I wish you luck. And it took me two and a half years of therapy, personal therapy, struggling, I was riding a bike before I could even walk and I, I, I can walk and I regained most of my range of motion. And um, that really changed my perspective. It, it, it took me away from working like a, a meaningless job to earn money, to buy meaningless things. And I was thinking the, the most valuable thing in my life is my time. Time is the most precious thing. I nearly died. And I may have died in that car hanging upside down while the firemen tried to cut me out for 45 minutes with the steel jaws of life. So I I survive and I'm going to try and make the most of my time here. Eat delicious things that I, I, I love to eat. Go visit amazing places and I'll get there either by foot or bicycle. I don't need money to travel. That's what I started to realize. And so I, I moved to San Francisco. I tried to do a business job. I ran for, I ran, I was with a startup company and it was meaningless. It was 50, 60 hours a week. And I'm thinking, you know what? This doesn't do it. What do I like doing? What, I'm, what am I good at? And then I realized there's so many people in this city that need a handyman. All these tech people, they go work these tech jobs, but they don't know how to change a light bulb. They don't know how to change their electrical outlet. They don't know how to paint their room. So I said, I'm, I don't have any pride uh, issues with painting a wall. I could paint somebody's house. I may have a graduate degree in international business and intercultural <laughs> management, but I could definitely get on my knees and put a carpet in, in an apartment. Yeah. So I started doing handyman stuff. And not only was I happier, I worked less and I earned pretty much the same, if not more than working uh, for a, 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 one of the top 500 companies in the, in the country. I'm thinking I could work in an office and make the same as wearing jeans and going and, and getting up late and then putting in a carpet in an apartment in San Francisco. So that gave me more free time so I could work three months and then I could go travel for three months. And I took it a step further. I bought a camper. I moved into a camper full time. I put solar panels. I eliminated all bills. So I'm actually like an off the grid boondock. I park my, my camper in areas that are free to park. And then uh, I, without having all these bills, I could save more money. Living tiny actually allows you to live bigger. So I had this huge lifestyle, but I didn't have a gigantic budget. Yeah. I could park my camper behind someone's house, jump on my bicycle, and I could ride thousands of miles and see so much. So uh, everything just shifted. My priorities shifted and uh, life got more adventurous. Yeah, that's freaking awesome, man. Holy. I mean, like some of it was not awesome, obviously, but uh, like your whole story yeah. and how you've kind of come through is freaking awesome. God, there's so much to take from that. Like you, the moment where you scared the shit out of that doctor. I, I love that because it's like uh, it's like there's a certain certain amount of monotony to everyone's day, right? Where they get up and they do the same things and yada, yada. And 
that that surgeon was probably just in his day, right? He was just on autopilot and he was just doing his thing. And your statement, if you cut off my leg, I'm going to kill myself. Like that was a paradigm shift, right? Like that was like, oh shit. Like you pulled him out of that autopilot mode and he was like, oh right. Like this is someone's life I'm dealing with. This isn't just my job to get my paycheck. And I, that's just so fascinating. And it's also like good on you for having the balls to do that in such a dire moment but like good on that doctor for having the humility right because like who the fuck are you to tell him how to do his job he like of of, and surgeons notoriously have a massive ego and because they need to right like we need them to be very egotistical because they need to be very confident in their work because they need to be good at like saving people's lives so for him to have the humility to do what he did for you and then pass the baton to another surgeon basically saying i'm not skilled enough for this like that's huge humility so kudos to that surgeon out there that's freaking awesome and good for you with the whole recovery and everything that's fascinating i love that especially like i own a gym i'm a personal trainer and i have helped people with all kinds of injuries and ailments and stuff like that and you i'm just like in my head i'm like what was your training like what what kind of exercise did you do and all that stuff but that's not appropriate for this podcast so we'll, we'll move on I, I could tell you really shortly that it was a lot of basic things when my my leg was frozen like a cement block straight because i hadn't moved in in so long and the first thing was putting a wet towel around the ankle with two five pound weights and then sticking the leg over the edge of the bed and letting gravity pull the the mcl and stretch that that tendon on the knee so just and that took months just to slowly go down that's crazy. It was that's <laughs> that's so crazy. I love that. Okay, I, I love this story. I love your story, your whole background. Let's uh let's get into the show. Um, so you, I did not realize until listening to that uh, one episode that you did that you sent me that podcast, and I was wondering about the whole uh because they do drops, right? They drop supplies to you, and there was the first drop, yeah. and then I think in the show you really only saw like two or three supply drops. How many actually were there? Mm. Even just ballpark, maybe. maybe s- well, for up until the time that I was on the show, I think six. Oh, interesting. Six drops. And you said that the yeah. second drop had sleeping bags. I did not realize they didn't start you guys with sleeping bags. Yeah. The first four days, we did not have sleeping bags. And I lost two guys because yeah. it was so cold. Yeah. I lost two guys on the second night of no sleep. The first night, we didn't sleep. Yeah. We we did a little, but it wasn't really like comforting sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Apparently, I have uh, sleep apnea because <laughs> I sounded like a lunatic out there. And the guys told me, we're not we're not going to worry about bears because if they heard you snoring, they're going to freaking run the other way. That's awesome. So, uh, so I, that's that's the first time I learned I snore horribly. So what you're saying is <laughs> Tim and Corey, your teammates that tapped on day three, they tap because of your snoring. That's what we're getting at. Uh, possibly <laughs> added to them not sleeping. Yeah, I know. But, uh, um, so yeah. yeah, that's interesting because like when I watched the show, I was just kind of like, you know, everyone, everyone's a coach quarterback, right? Kind of like tapping out on day three. Come on, guys, you're better than that. And then you, I see your little episode there. You're talking about not having sleeping bags until day four or something. And I'm just like, holy shit. No, no wonder they tapped out. That's brutal. Um, And I, uh, something about that scene that I really love is you had said, if I let you down in some way, man, I'm sorry. I love that. I love that you said that because like, I forgot that was in there. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that was in the show. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, dude, that was awesome. Because to me, it's like just that statement there is so much humility 
And like, that's just a trait that I, the more of the world needs, you know, and something about the fact that within that statement, you're taking potential ownership for something you might've missed, right? You're like, yeah, yeah. I and, and especially because you kind of took a leadership role with your team, right? You kind of immediately were like, okay, here, let's do this. Let's do that. And you were talking about in the other one, how you were saying a lot of please and thank yous and stuff. So you weren't exactly commanding, even though not everyone takes kindly to someone just taking over like that, but you tried to do it with as much yeah. grace as you could, which I think is good. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, I really thought, see, I'm old enough to know, uh, that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really exhausted with the what ifs I'm tired with the what ifs when you, we fail and then we look back at something with hindsight and we go, what if I did this? What if I did that? Well, when you're in the moment, don't have any what ifs. If this question comes up in your head, just do the silly thing. It's it's better to be feel silly for doing something or saying something uh, that people think was maybe uncomfortable or something. Then having a failure and looking back and saying things could have been different if I only did this. So in that situation, I didn't want what ifs. So I came up with so many ideas to try to keep these guys in the competition. And one of them was, I, I, well, I got really fat for the show. I, I put on 30 pounds just for the show. And um, I told the guys, take your shoes off, take your socks off, put your feet on my stomach. And their feet were really cold. And they got uncomfortable with that. They, they weren't used to that. They never <laughs> even heard of anybody doing that. And I said, just put your feet on my stomach. I'm a polar bear here. I'll warm you up. And I was telling myself, I'm going to try and do heat up these guys in any way. If need be, I'll I'll put my bare belly against their legs to try and heat them. I, I, I'm not, I don't have any qualms or feel uncomfortable about any of this. It's pure survival out mm -hmm. here. And uh, and I did. I, I have no regrets. I did everything in my power to try to reassure them and to try to get them to stay. At the end of the day, it was their choice, their decision. And that's. I felt compelled to say that because I couldn't think of anything else that I could have done apart from forcing them and grabbing them yeah. and then pulling off and putting their feet <laughs> on my stomach. Apart from that, I couldn't figure out anything that I could have done yeah. differently. Yeah, that, so. that might have been a little weird. I think it's a good thing that you passed on that one. <laughs> Just get over here, give me your feet. Yeah. <laughs> that might have been a little bit awkward. Uh, that's awesome, though. The, the I, I love that you just did everything you could because like, and, and a lot of what you were saying is like you're talking about how you were you were trying to keep up on your teammates' water intake and stuff, and you're constantly like, how you doing? Is there, like... I, I, did, I did that from cycling. So uh, there was a... In 2018, I cycled with a guy, and um, we went through Baja, California. We went through Baja in June, and it was over 125 degrees Oof. Fahrenheit. Oof. It was insanely hot. So I was drinking 10 or 11 liters of water a day, and I was still thirsty. I could not quench my thirst. And so... The stretches between the villages were over 50 miles to just to get to a dusty little village. And there's a there's a road that crosses from Ensenada to San Felipe. And that road is is where the Baja 500 is. And at the time we were crossing the, the Baja race with those big monster desert trucks was taking place. Yeah. So we saw the trucks fleeing over the road and we, we had a few guys out there and they were like, what are you doing riding out here? They have, you know, all these umbrellas and they're like, you you can cook a, a steak on the road and we're like yeah we're cooking ourselves i wrote with the guy and he wasn't drinking enough water and so i had to get on him. and so i would scream behind me and i'd go have you have you drunk water and he's like no i forgot and i said drink water and he would drink water 
And I'd say, when was the last time you peed? And he's like, I don't know. And I go, if it was more than an hour ago, we got to sit down and you got to drink a liter of water right now because you have to pee a little bit every hour on a bicycle because all the water's coming out in sweat. Mm -hmm. So if you're not sprinkling a little bit of pee out, you're going to get dehydrated mm -hmm. and you could start seeing spots. And in that heat, you could have a, a heat stroke really quickly. So that is a, a cycling thing. Did you drink water? Are you dizzy? Uh, are you feeling okay? Did you pee? What color was your pee? Yeah. All those questions are some questions. And I, I did that out in Alaska too. Yeah, that's awesome. It, is, it sounds like a lot of this cycling lifestyle translated really well to this show. Um, you said that the equipment, like, because all the equipment was given to you. is, And yeah. I think in the other one, you were like, I would have picked way better equipment than that. Is there anything yeah. that they gave you that stood out that was like a real piece of garbage? Oh, the knife was a piece of shit. Oh, really? The knife we got, it was not a bushcraft knife. It was, uh, it started changing chipping the moment you tried to splinter some wood oh it was really I, I would say that's a 15 dollars knife they gave us oh my god the axe the hatchet they gave us was a piece of crap <laughs> oh my god terrible um the the uh they gave us a, a military a, a u.s military wool blanket mm -hmm. those are actually okay because okay. even when those are wet they keep you warm okay the sleeping bags they gave us were the cheapest walmart sleeping bags what? they were terrible oh yeah those sleeping bags were probably 20 dollars at walmart <laughs> they were brutal. not anything like my western mountaineering uh you know california made uh down bags yeah. that are four hundreds that I would have taken. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, over the years I save up to buy really good gear because I'd rather be comfortable in the wilderness than really struggling and burning more calories. Yeah. So uh, I know $400 might sound like a lot for a sleeping bag, but no. I lived in a, in a tent for two years. Yeah. So <laughs> no, Javier, $400 does not sound like a lot for a sleeping bag. You're talking about having no bills, no house, $400. <laughs> <Yeah>. You should have spent yeah. two grand on a sleeping bag. It should have been diamond encrusted. I don't know. Unicorn fur. Yeah. yeah. Unicorn fur. There you go. Yeah. You, you said that there was a, uh, like park rangers or something because you guys were in like a national park so you're being yeah. monitored and you had a bunch of rules like yeah you you cut down like 27 trees to build your little log cabin and everything what other kind of rules were there set for you so uh they wanted to make sure now the the forest can't actually catch fire but the roots could so mm -hmm. they wanted to make sure that what, wherever we started a fire that we didn't uh unintentionally catch roots on fire so the forest ranger came to check and make sure that the area where we we set a fire was not going to uh, ca cause a root fire because underground those roots could burn for months what? which is they can burn yeah. underground underground what for the months hell? that's insane yeah, they're very difficult fires to to put out so we learned that i was like oh my god i didn't know this and he says yeah there's some fires that are underground in siberia and it's a root fire and it, it'll be burning really intensely. So that crazy, crazy uh, uh, risk that could happen. But uh, the forest ranger's there to make sure that doesn't happen. He was also making sure that where we were getting our water, that uh, he, he was going to check to make sure that we weren't going to get sick after we found a location and thought that, that things were okay. And we, we found a spring coming right out of the kind of the side of a mountain so that what that was good unfortunately i saw that the other team uh what was it um yeah i was charlie. i was just about to say yeah, charlie. i think it was andrea yeah yeah she oh man oh. i saw the water in the video i know that up river there were probably dead salmon in that water oh. and she drank water 
dead fish in it because it had foam and it was bubbling up. I didn't look good at all. No, the moment oh. I saw that, I just freaking face palmed. I was like, what are you doing? You're on a survival show and you just scoop water and drink it? Like, rookie mistake. Yeah. Ugh. But uh, so the forest, the forest ranger also checked. Uh, yeah, he checked to make sure the type of trees we were cutting. He, The other side of the river had, a, it was all flat land and they had uh, new growth uh, pine trees and a lot of dead trees. So it was so easy for them to start a fire because they just they just walked through the forest pushing over dead trees with their hands. They didn't have to hack all of them up. On our side, we had Wait, whose side was growth. this? Sorry? Was that Charlie you said? So Charlie and Delta. Yeah. Their side completely flat oh okay. bravo we were on the side of a mountain in thick old growth forest <laughs> so it was a totally different environment yeah we were in in like shrubs and thick growth with these massive trees and they were in uh young growth pine trees and half of them were dead so <laughs> that you could push over the trees and that's why they started a fire so quickly yeah. and they kept it burning because they had so much wood to burn we had to cut trees down and then dry the, the wood yeah. slowly next to the fire to have firewood for the next day yeah, so yeah. we never kept our running all night because of the the wood problem well that's um, actually i want to kind of interject here really quick i had thought about um a couple of the other teams used the cotton balls from their yeah. med kit to start their fire what was your reaction to that when you watched back because you started your fire without them yeah um that <laughs> was surprising but uh i i, I went in I, you know i was i was just in the survivalist mindset i didn't even think of the first aid kit yeah didn't even dawn on me you know i thought okay that's just gonna be for first aid that's yeah, yeah. good put it aside <laughs> i i was gonna make a uh uh what's it called a bow a bow to do a uh yeah um, yeah like the friction bow, bow drill. yeah bow drill. Yep. yes a fr friction bow drill i was gonna do that but everything was soaking wet it was so wet that i realized okay this is not gonna this is not gonna do it at all and uh, then when I, I chatted with the guys and nobody knew what fatwood was and uh that's the first moment when i realized do, do you guys have survival experience because that's one of the first things that you you learn fire started it, it, it's the resin mm -hmm. so like uh pine tar you could make pine tar um it, you could pull it off uh, a pine tree yeah, you could scrape and you could gather bark. it yeah yeah you can scrape it off the bark it's it's seeps out yep. you can even cut the tree and it'll it'll start to bleed a little bit yeah uh, but then when the tree dies all that resin all that tar it goes down to the lowest limbs and pretty much the rest of the tree rots falls apart but the stump and the lower branches will have this fat wood and that that's very flammable and i needed that and when i had to explain that to them it started to dawn on me that maybe these guys uh it maybe exaggerated their survival experience <laughs> well actually i wanted to ask about that so i do want to get back to the um the forest rangers and their regulations on you because i'm sure there's more on that i do want to get back to that yeah. um but just as a side note i was thinking about how you were talking about your application how you saw an ad pop up you sent in a 47 second video you got a phone call the next day you thought it was a solicitor and then like three or four months of interviews and otherwise later you ended up on the show right and the during that interview process was there a practical interview where they had a group of you out and they had you demonstrate survival skills no no no, no not at all interesting 
because and and I really, yeah. really, I mean, I'm sure you've been told this a thousand times, but I really highly recommend you find some time to watch the Alone show because they they do that. There's some behind the scenes stuff I've seen on Alone where they they have like I think probably twice as many people as they want on the show, and they bring them out and they're like, "You got to demonstrate survival skills." I was watching this whole thing, oh. and they're like, "Dude, you just set up your shelter under a widow maker. Like, there's a giant dead tree right here. You can't set up your shelter here. Like, this is a big mistake. Yeah. We can't send you." out into the middle of nowhere if you're going to be making those kind of decisions right so i find it interesting yeah. that they didn't do anything like that because like it's got to be a certain amount of liability and everything it's you would want these people to be capable of not dying yeah i find that fascinating so yeah it would have um and I, I i think looking back at the show i really that's why i i think that this may have been the the idea of a survival show but i think it was also equal parts social experiment a hundred percent a hundred percent it was a social experiment it, it wanted to people and trust them at their word and uh, see what happens when you put these average people together and um, so they tried to put some survivalists together and it looks like the the, the survivalist um, pretty much left the show early on <laughs> <laughs> Joel, Dodd, yeah. uh, myself. Um, I don't. I still think that um, Alpha Team is is exaggerating quite a lot. Uh, from the experience uh, I had with them, they don't. Uh, they don't actually meet up to what uh, they claim to know uh, and the skills they have. Um, and the others, Charlie. I actually I don't know them very well enough at all. And we didn't see so so much of their survival sh uh, skills on the show. Yeah, but. it's too bad because like I love Alone, and there's there's just almost nothing but survival uh, skills shown on that show and i found that i was like looking forward to that in a team setting on this show and as we both know that didn't happen and it was the, i mean realistically i i've got I've, i tried to empathize with the show producers and editors and everything because like when you're making a show and you want it to be popular and you're given you're handed all this footage and within that footage there's so much goddamn chaos how do you not put that on the screen right like yeah they, that was their option and when they're like they're uh, contract is limited to whatever eight episodes or whatever it is like yeah. you know that they have to fill it with all that insanity because I'm pretty sure you were saying well, they, like they, there was yeah. even more that they didn't even put in yeah absolutely there I talked to the, the grant who, who created the show and I said you know people would have loved this show if there were 16 episodes and he agreed he just said unfortunately the budget didn't uh, doesn't allow for 16 episodes mm. so they had to cram all this into eight and honestly there, there's a lot of complaining on on the part of the demon squad and uh, <laughs> the demon squad. They're, yeah they're, they're they're you know they're they're trying to say that the edit it was a bad edit no it that the camera doesn't doesn't lie that is actually them yeah in fact i've told people and i've, I've on reddit too they were worse than that i find they that were crazy truly worse than that and so the edit that, that that you see actually makes them to be a little less worse than they actually were Mm -hmm. For instance, they before they invaded uh, my camp to rob me, they uh, threatened me on the beach like gangsters. It was crazy. How? How? Like what kind of threat? I was putting my raft together. Yeah. They actually walked up to me as I was finishing up my raft, and Jill and Amber uh, are like thugs. And they say, you got to get over there and don't come back. And I'm like, Don and Joel are coming over and we're going to, you know, continue on. I'm, I'm going to have my team. And they're like, oh, God, everything Jill says is a lie. So she goes... 
and she's a pathological liar. So whatever she says, she believes it. Mm. It's like she literally believes the lie that she's creating in her mouth at that moment. And she says, you don't understand. Dawn is a horrible person. Dawn is just terrible. You don't want to bring her over here. She's going to bring pure evil to this side. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, this doesn't even... Dawn is a perfectly fine lady. Dawn seems like an absolute on. sweetheart. Yeah, she's also a cancer survivor. She just had surgery. I, I believe she had a double mastectomy seven months before Jesus. going out to Alaska. So she was still recovering from the surgery when Justin stole their sleeping bags. Oh and she God. was still in pain. She Dawn couldn't lift her arms above her head oh because God. of the pain from the surgery. God. Sorry, I want to clarify so, for listeners. I'm laughing at the idea that Jill's trying to persuade you that Dawn's an awful person and she's gone through all this. Yeah. I'm not laughing at her awful experience with her cancer and double mastectomy, just just for clarity. So so we go and, and, and Jill's looking at me and saying, you can't bring Dawn over here. And I said, look, when Dawn and Joel come over, I said, you're going to give us those sleeping bags back. And so they were all upset and they were just threatening me on the beach there. And they said, we won't allow it. We won't allow it. And uh, I continue with my raft and they were sitting there. And then I drug that raft over to the water. And then you see the scene of yeah. them saying, let's do it. And they go up. But you don't see the scene of them actually threatening me. Yeah, yeah. Like, like thugs on the beach. Yeah. Which was ridiculous. Because I'm sitting there looking at them. And I actually look at the camera a lot. Because I'm trying to like, I'm thinking of the viewers and what you guys would think. Because I think it's absolutely <laughs> insane. So I'm looking directly at the camera and going, do you see this? <laughs> Are you, I, and I would point. I would tell Joe and Amber constantly. I said, guys, millions of people are going to watch this. Do you really want to act like this? It didn't phase them. No. It, it didn't bother them at all. And I'm like, we're not in a fantasy world. This I is not really Lord Flies. It's, not real. it's a game. It's a competition. Uh, yeah. I, th I think that might have been part of the problem, though, was that they might have just been in a different reality. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I that is so freaking hilarious that you were like regularly looking at the camera with like a you seeing this kind of look. That's so. I'm so. I now have my number one disappointment with this show. I am most disappointed that I didn't get a single Javier's "What the fuck's going on?" look <laughs> at the camera because <laughs> they should have left. You got it. one. You got one. Oh, did when, you? When when Jill says there is no law here, and I said we're still in America, yeah, and she goes we're in Alaska, yeah, and I'm like it's the U.S. of A. lady, yeah, and then I look at the camera and I say everybody sees you're weak and and unable to outlast me, even though the the world sees it. I looked right at the camera. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I, that scene was just craziness and uh, i like how i say scene as if it's like a show that was scripted or some yeah. shit but you're like yeah no that's not a scene that was just some person being a little over the top in my space yeah. and everything um yeah so i mean we're it's... here now we might as well dig into this that that whole situation with jill like okay so let, let's actually back up a little first because i want to talk about justin and justin yeah. went over and i think the claims are that i think i I, I'll have to rewatch, but the that Jill had the idea to steal something and it was Justin's decision to steal the sleeping bag specifically. And I believe that Jill has tried to defend herself saying something like, oh, I only expected him to take like a hatchet or a knife or something like that, not necessarily the sleeping bags and take that for what you will, not really that important. My question to you is like, because you spent a little more time with these, a little bit of time with each person at least, and you got to know some of them at least, do you think Justin would have stolen anything if he was on your team? No. 
No, no. Um, we even the four of us when we first uh, had those the first two days together. We I think Brian and myself, even Corey. I, I don't. I didn't really. I couldn't get a really good feel of Timothy. But um, I think our moral compass and our character wouldn't have allowed any theft. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think. I really think that the decisions they made were um, they were heavily influenced by uh, the character of uh, Jill. Mm-hmm. Um, Amber is a follower. Yeah. She's a, a minion. So she basically did whatever Jill said. And Justin was not as much a follower, but I think he was um, more persuaded by the um, the uh, his character was a little more malleable yes yeah. yes that's that's a good way to put it because had, had he been with us really I mean I've chatted with him after the show mm. and uh, he told me that he didn't like Amber and Jill's plan to rob me so he stayed at the camp that's mm-hmm. why you don't see him yeah. in that, that whole shot. He literally stayed at camp because he didn't agree with with what they were doing. So that 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 is a little bit of a uh, I guess a bonus to to his character. I still think his his whole decision to steal the sleeping bags was absolutely over the line, terrible. Mm-hmm. And um, he he doesn't want to admit that. He he says that you know it was a game. Yeah, you gotta play but, dirty sometimes or whatever. I think he was that's what saying he said. that. that was his, yeah, that was his his quote. And that's in that that little when he says that quote, that's the first time that they actually tell us, me and Brian, that they're considering doing something dirty. Yeah, because they started showing their weakness. They they weren't very comfortable out there mm-hmm. me and brian were actually quite comfortable yeah so when they came to us and said we want to speed this game up we don't want to be here for weeks mm-hmm. and i thought i kind of looked at brian thinking but we're actually okay yeah you guys are so, chumming it out yeah that means you guys are having some issues yeah because <laughs> uh we're totally gonna outlast you if you're if you're already having issues mm-hmm. two weeks into the, the 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 competition and so then they i think joe could see that that we didn't really want to go in on it so they did, she didn't want to give us any details mm-hmm. and so they they went their own way and me and brian had that conversation about uh ethical choices and we didn't want to get involved with that and we uh we never really had an alliance that was that didn't exist yeah in her in jill's head it might have existed but uh we just kept you know you keep your friends close and your enemies closer yeah. that was you're we going by just to try and prevent or delay the madness that happened yeah the so this kind of i want to bounce back a little bit here because you're talking about this alliance this alliance originally formed around the crab pots because it was like you guys were going after him and then your attempt with brian had kind of failed a little bit brian got his feet wet and then you guys just kind of came back to shore and justin took forever with his raft and jill and amber eventually went at low tide to get some crab pots and so then you guys had access to crab i wanted to talk that about that a little bit because you mentioned that the forest rangers were limiting what kind of crabs you could catch oh yeah so um there's a a, a a size there's a little scale that you have to have we didn't have that so whatever crabs were caught were first checked by the the forestry to make mm-hmm. sure that they were of legal size mm-hmm. and so um uh, that is one aspect um another thing is um for instance we couldn't use gill nets in order to, to fish with a gill net you have to have a license mm-hmm. so you know the, this this stuff's highly regulated fishing in general um, um, we couldn't uh, do a passive trap, like a tide pool trap. And that's where you dig oh. a, a hole and then uh, it's deep enough to capture water and small fish. Mm-hmm. And so when the tide's high, a lot of the fish like to go in there. And then when the tide slowly goes out, you can capture a lot of uh, mm-hmm. food that is only allowed by 
to be used by native indigenous people in Alaska. I couldn't use, so I couldn't use uh, uh, many traps, passive traps, including that one, to capture any any food. Mm -hmm. I think so that's. I think that's another point in favor of you would get a lot out of watching the alone show because they have gill nets and they end up doing oh. some of these passive traps and stuff. There are some yeah. things where like there's a season for using gill nets or something like that that they have to work within. So I think you'd probably find that fairly interesting. Uh, something else that's different with alone compared to you guys is pooping. They're in Canada, right? Um, Not always. I think they oh, okay. did uh, Victoria Island in Canada and then they did somewhere else. Shit, I should remember, but they did oh. like some other country um yeah um but yeah going to the bathroom defecating because i'm pretty sure in alone they just go poop wherever they kind of in yeah a not in a park in a national park we had to to shit in in buckets like uh couldn't small five gallon buckets with a plastic bag inside Jesus. and then that plastic bag we would give to the forest ranger and he would take them and dispose them were you given some well, to wipe with bag. uh well we moss <laughs> oh rough moss and, and leaves but uh we we did shit in bags God, so that's brutal okay so <laughs> the yeah you and you were stopped for tree cutting and then you're like yeah. crabs you got to poop in buckets is there anything we're missing on like the rules that you had to follow because of the forest rangers oh yeah well we couldn't there was a there was several different species that we couldn't capture out there so like species of fish uh no um i think there was a uh endangered weasel out there yeah Jesus. And there's also mink. There's okay. a mink, a black mink that used to be uh, hunted for their fur, which is illegal to trap and kill. So I think that it's in the show, that little little, little creature that comes out in Jill's area. Okay. I don't think we're allowed to kill those. I huh. think those are endangered. Interesting. So so if you, if you set up traps, snare traps, or like a pit trap, they kill indiscriminately. Yeah. You don't what you're capturing so uh that that could cause trouble with the government yeah so you weren't really you weren't really Penalty, yeah yeah you weren't really allowed to go set those kind of snares which is like an incredible source yeah. of protein those little yeah. mammals and stuff and that's another thing you see on alone a lot of people catching bunnies and stuff with little snares that they put through like down near roots and stuff like that oh, yeah that's... there were no bunnies were. No, there's no bunnies there. No, no. that's a that's a real handicap to the survival process. It sounds like you, it sounds like a lot of freaking handicaps. Like, God, why did they have to pick a freaking national park? Couldn't they have just found some private land or something and paid them? Or if honestly, I would have preferred to be an open sea instead of a river. Hmm. I would have preferred the open sea because I'm really good uh, with with. Uh, see sea life mm -hmm. and and i knew i knew so much more to eat over there and i would have uh we would have been well fed um sea urchins bulk help all the, even more varieties of of uh seaweed that we didn't even have um that so the, the open sea would have been would have been just a a, a huge buffet of food the river limited us greatly Hmm. being there that's interesting did you it didn't really show it but did you guys ever venture out with the bow and arrow your bravo team no so i didn't have my license we had to make sure that you had a license to to bow hunt so everybody was tested what yeah yeah so on our team uh i believe Corey and brian had licenses bow hunt but timothy and i we we didn't 
Oh my God. And so uh, I, c- I wouldn't have been able to bow hunt at all legally, but Brian uh, and Corey would have been able to. And uh, me and Brian were so focused on building our cabin. We put all our energy in, in building the cabin because we knew the, the winter was coming and the snow. Mm-hmm. And uh, we saw deer in the morning walk right in front of our cabin. So we could have sat on our knees and shot right out the front door oh. and captured one so close. But we didn't t- choose to do that because we weren't ready to process the the deer. If had we caught one, we wouldn't have been able to store the meat and preserve it because we were still behind and trying to create a home. Oh my god. But we were getting ready. Well, we would have been ready. Do you think that if like we don't have more weeks? Sorry, what was that last part you said? Oh, we would have been ready to to do that had we had one more week, but Joe attacked right at the yeah. moment where we were going to build a smokehouse and get ready to, well, to preserve our... <laughs> so thinking back to that, obviously chaos ensued, but if chaos hadn't ensued, obviously, and if you had have taken that shot, if you had have taken that deer, do you think you could have made it work? Like uh, I personally didn't want to risk killing a whole animal and not being able to, to eat the, use mm-hmm. the whole animal. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to waste that and since we were eating mussels and we weren't really starving of all the teams out there you see me and brian aren't really complaining about protein yeah i think the other were complaining about being hungry complaining about uh protein and i'm like i never saw those guys gathering food mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know or i never understood how they were eating because me and brian were on the beach for two or three hours collecting mussels every morning yeah and i never saw anybody out there yeah so uh, so we weren't in, in a, a desperate situation with food. Hmm. And, and I, yeah, I, we were we just weren't ready. But yeah. when, when we got would have been ready, we would have definitely had a deer yeah. in no time. And it was just that Easy. one moment that you saw that deer and no other time. Yeah. Well, no, actually, we a couple a couple days. <laughs> oh, it happened <laughs> over deer, multiple days. Yeah. The deer came down and actually were snooping around looking in, in huh. our campsite. And we could see it from the cabin like, oh, shit. But uh, we didn't even have the bow assembled at that moment. <laughs> It didn't have it, but it wasn't assembled. You didn't have it strung up. That's crazy. No. Oh. Um, yeah. So, so uh, we briefly mentioned Justin and uh, you know meeting them in the crab pot and the the, the how the, the forestry department made sure to check everything with the yeah. crab size. I wanted to say that um uh, with that crab pot si- situation with that drop um. I, I didn't want to risk losing Brian. Mm-hmm. So him being my only teammate, uh, in a survival situation, I would never put him on the water. I, I didn't want him to risk falling into the river and then me being out, but also him getting wet and, and being miles from the island. And on a, from a cycling perspective, when we went out to our campsite, we had to take a little tiny boat that took us out there. And I was scanning the, the shoreline, both sides. And I noticed when we passed that island, that there uh, seemed to be a straight shot. But the boatman took us around a long diversion around the island. And I kind of thought that must be very shallow. That's why the, the boat is going around the island. So when they said we had to go to that island, I already had a kind of feeling that we could actually walk to the island. Mm-hmm. And so that's why me and Brian walked there. When we got there, Brian said, we got to build the raft. We got to build the raft. And the camera guys were saying, well, you know, we finished filming soon because they always closed, shut down about 530. We didn't have watches, but in the evening, they kind of left at 530 because the sun set around 530 to six and it was getting, you know, setting earlier and earlier. Yeah. And one that we had to to follow was we had to be in camp by nightfall because it was too dangerous to be out. Yeah. We we couldn't be out of camp after nightfall. So you got to watch alone. (laughs) Okay. Because <laughs> they, they, I mean, yeah. they, they're their own cameramen, but yeah. obviously they can do anything at any hour, right? So, 
I'm just oh, thinking about okay. the time limitation that puts you in because thinking about like how much yeah. shit you can get done at night yeah. for a few hours and you're just forced oh, to yeah. sit in your camp and not do anything exciting. What yeah. the hell? We had from, from daylight, which was about six in the morning when this, it started getting uh, sunlight until about uh, six in the afternoon. And then the bear activity activity was real. I mean, there were there was a lot of bears out there. So w part of the safety was one that we couldn't see anything mm -hmm. at all. And then the other part was the massive the amount of bears that were yeah. in the area be the safest area was for us to be in our campsite so that bear guards that were positioned in the woods could monitor the situation and they even had night goggles that could see bears moving in the woods you guys had so bear they, they, guards at night bear guards yes so people because posted they were up 60, nearby yeah posted up maybe 100 yards away and making sure that if any bears are in the area they don't walk directly into our camp huh how many so, how many bear guards were there do you know one per campsite huh that's awesome so, so that was uh because of the, the just the tremendous amount of bears that were out there yeah and um a couple nights one story i heard from a bear guard was that there was a massive bear walking directly towards our camp, but they had to do some things to maneuver the bear and get it to walk away. <laughs> but we were sleeping. We didn't know. <laughs> said, said they didn't want to tell us until after we let I left the show because the the size of the bear was so gigantic that they were like, this is freaking terrifying. <laughs> we don't want to tell you guys what happened. So <laughs> Jesus, did you give that guy a hug and thank him after? Yeah, bought him a beer. Yeah, actually, <laughs> that's good. There you go. That works. Our city in the village, but uh. So we, we, me and Brian walked to that, uh, that island and we were right directly in front of it, like a hundred yards away. And, um, what you see is, you know, you see Brian trying to cross and then he gets pushed over cause the tide was going out really strong. But what you don't see because they did stop filming for the day is the land bridge. We saw the land bridge, oh. all the water left and we looked and I was cussing at everybody. I was like, what the, there's a bridge there. We could walk to the island. And they said, you can't walk to the island because it's getting nighttime. Yeah. You're going to, if you go to the island, you're going to get stuck because the light, the sun will go down. You don't know where the pots are. And then you're going to have to cross over and you got two miles to hike back to your campsite. And so we had to go back for safety reasons. But me and Brian on our way back, he was bitching because his feet were wet. But as we go back, I gave the juicy information to Joe and Amber. Oh, and I no. said, hey, guys, I said, if you want to help out, you don't even need the raft. You could walk over on the land bridge tomorrow morning at about 530 is going to be extreme low tide and that extreme low tide is one hour that's when it, it's really low and the land bridge is perfect but then they they got across maybe 7 30 or 8 so the water was starting to come back and then they spent they wasted a lot of time there mm -hmm. so that's why they got but i me and brian told them that the land bridge was there because we we were right in front of the island yeah. so in the show it's it seems like jill discovered that yeah that's nonsense <laughs> didn't discover anything yeah we told her and so the there wasn't a gift like the alliance and they're helping us and gave us crab yeah we get that juicy information in exchange for crab yeah and so they got crab pots and then they gave us the our crab yeah and so uh that was kind of the exchange it wasn't them helping us out yeah, and yeah. A, 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 yeah, it was yeah. we gave them a mission so javier's genius information from the beginning you you also said the uh, crab pods weren't worth it no oh god it was so justin had a huge ass raft mm. so the first time he he dropped the crab pots after Joe and Amber got them, they gave them uh, to Justin, and Justin took that massive raft out into deep water and, and dropped
dropped him. So my our raft was tiny, and also I I outweigh Brian by a hundred pounds. He's a very lean man. How much do you He's weigh? Not very, I'm six foot, and at that time I weighed two fifty five. Holy on the show. shit! I gained thirty pounds just to get on the show. Right now I'm about two twenty. So. You're a big man. <laughs> Jesus. So I didn't want to get on that little tiny raft when Brian was like 150 yeah. and lean and muscular and I'm 250. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to get on this raft, man. And so, uh, I went back out there seven times to try to get crab and put these crab pots in and it wasn't easy and it wasn't successful. So, so you didn't I, I get said, crab any of those times? No. My, when I went out to drop them and I didn't want to ask Justin to drop them. So I never asked Justin to drop the pots again. Uh, I, I actually think they, they realized how difficult it was their first time. So th I think they abandoned them after the first time. Maybe Justin dropped them one or two times, but I was stubborn and I went out there seven times to try to get crab because I like crab. I yeah. love crab. And no, I couldn't get them. And I said, screw it. Not going to do it anymore. We're wasting time. This eats up so much time during the day. Literally hiking down there two hours and then dropping dropping them and, and trying to move the crab pot every time. Was there uh, like a closer spot you could have put the crabs? No, because the crabs are in deep water. Oh. And all that are near us, it, it started to get shallow. After the island, it started to get very deep. Hmm. So after that island is, is where you could drop the, the crab pots. So that was a lot more advantageous for Alpha and Delta, I want to say, because they were closer to that island, those two teams. Yeah, they were, they were actually closer to deeper water. Yeah. On our side, more uh, more shallow beach but that also meant that our side uh bravo uh bravo and alpha we had uh more access to mussels mm -hmm. charlie and delta they didn't have anywhere near as much food as we did oh interesting which is one of the reasons why uh, uh joel and don wanted to come to bravo camp yeah is because we had way more food and easy access to fresh water and their side didn't mm -hmm. Yeah, that whole part was like, oh, it was just heartbreaking, honestly, as a viewer, because like you, you were this voice of good, right? And I like I was freaking out as I'm watching the show. And I'm like, making faces like this and just getting so mad. And my fiance is like, calm down. It's okay. And I'm like, no, it's not okay. Like, bad people can't just do bad things and then continue on with life and everything's okay. It's it's not okay. Yeah. And like you were just this voice of good and you you were saying similar things like you can't do that. You can't just behave like that and it'll all be OK. And when uh, Don and Joel were trying to come across and you're getting basically invaded by Team Alpha at the time and everything, this moment of vulnerability. And they were just like, yeah, we're done. My heart just sank. I was like, oh, guys, come on. Like you could have made it like you guys could have done it for sure sure the three of you and like especially yeah. if you had have actually got the freaking sleeping bags back but i mean i also i also kind of empathize with them that like that's not what they signed up for as much as it turned into like this social experiment or whatever they wanted to do a survival thing and they wanted to challenge themselves against mother nature they didn't want to challenge yeah. themselves against crazy people being crazy yeah so like yeah and don and joel we, you know 
we had such few interactions until that moment. Joel did come over once, which you didn't see in the series, and he, I made him tea, and he checked out the campsite. And, uh, you know, the, in many instances, too, those cameramen had to follow us everywhere, mm. and we kind of did things. We didn't really wait for them. We just tried to do things, and they kind of ran up and tried to catch up with us. So in in some regards, they didn't capture everything uh, because, you know, we, we just didn't. It was spontaneous, and we just did stuff. Yeah. Well, you're not going to wait um, around and be like, hey, I'm going to yeah. cut this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we... Uh, when, when when they came and they and they they we, we we joined forces and I saw that they we truly had the same spirit we had never and Brian too we had never thought this was about uh c- competing against people and like hurting people mm. they, they they weren't my competition I've said this many times mother nature was was my only competitor out there mm. I was going to survive and thrive in Alaska and I was not going to hurt anybody in the process and uh the first time meeting Alpha Team and seeing Justin on the beach, they actually suggested if we made it to the island to steal all four crab pots. And I thought, no, I don't want to do that. Why would I steal another team's crab pots? I have no interest in doing that. And in fact, I didn't see that until the show. I didn't know that, uh, was it uh, uh, Charlie? Charlie took three crab pots. I mm-hmm. thought that was pretty selfish. I don't think that was very sportsmanlike. Um, I, I, I just don't agree with it. I would have never taken all the pots, more pots than was allotted to me, because it, it, it wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. I would have beat you in square uh, on my skill alone. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't make things difficult. For yeah. So kind of what you just said about Mother Nature uh, brings up a question that my fiance had was, uh, was it more challenging to survive Mother Nature or human nature? It was more challenging to survive human nature. Yeah, I thought so. Because I was in my element and I loved it and I had so much fun. I laughed and joked around. And in some regards, I think those testimonials, they, they didn't get, uh, I guess, the dramatic, I'm starving, I hate it out here, it's cold, this is hell. And I, I've heard some of that from mm-hmm. the other people. They were like, oh, this is hell, this is this is horrible, I don't wish this on anybody else. And I was over there like, thank you for the opportunity, I love this, thank you, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I I just had so much fun. Yeah. But the human, yeah, the human nature. Uh, you know, I I I thought we we might get in some drama and argue with each other, but I I guess I was naive to think that um people would be 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 nicer. Well, I want to okay so before we get into that like because let's get in we'll, we'll get into jill and her behavior and the whole moment where she invaded your camp and i love this you 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 naturally weigh around 220 you put on 30 pounds just to prep for the show real quick real yeah. quick because i heard of from the alone show one guy was saying that he put on a bunch of weight by drinking olive oil and that just sounds horrific to me <laughs> i know right it's just disgusting. He yeah. was he was amazing. He was really good on the show, but drinking olive oil, hard pass on that one. Thank you. So I'm one I just really quick, what did you do? Like did you just pound a bunch of burgers or like how'd you go about it? Well, I love beer. Oh, okay. so <laughs> I just drank more beer and ate ate more steaks. Nice. And it came on quick. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love sourdough bread. I just a whole loaf of sourdough bread, beer and a pizza. Oh my God. It, the weight came on really quick. All man. right. That's <laughs> Sweet. I needed to know that. That's awesome. Because it's got to you got to make it fun if you're going to put it on, right? Beer, yeah. sourdough, pizza, and steak. Those are good choices. So with with the whole interaction with Jill, I find this. I just got to 
try so hard to stifle my laughter because to me like she's like there's no law out here and you're like we're in Alaska which is just hilarious like you can't write that that's so funny and I can't I couldn't stop thinking like and now even more so you're 220 like if we're gonna be really honest if there was no cameras around if this was actually a survival situation you could so easily squeeze the life out of a person like that like her yeah. safety was in being on a show like it, because of the laws out there was the only reason she was allowed to behave the way she was because if there was genuinely no laws and it was the wild wild west you would have just ended her in a heartbeat it, w it wouldn't even have been you could have easily taken on both of them single-handedly they were small women like and not not that i'm <laughs> saying you should ever assault women or like that's ever but if we're talking about like some post-apocalyptic survival situation where you guys are genuinely surviving off the land and these two small women came into your camp and tried to steal your shit you would just freaking end them like it's well i i was so i recently came back to the u.s i was uh, traveling for a year and so i've only been back for like two weeks but i flew to texas and in Texas, a couple people recognized him, and they 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 ran up to me in the parking lot of a grocery store, and they said, "You're Javier," and I said, "Yeah," and they go, "We just watched uh, Outlast, and you were our favorite," and they're like, "You know, here in Texas, we have a way of dealing with people," <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I know, you're very famous for it," and they said, "You realize." in a real life situation, those women wouldn't have survived two days. And I'm like, most likely. So she's from Kentucky. Even people in Kentucky <laughs> wouldn't tolerate that behavior. No. So she was obviously utilizing the, the, the laws because, you know, another fan on Reddit wrote me a beautiful write-up and it was just it, you know, I read every email and this one was special, but they also said that had this same situation happened the other way around, I'd be in jail. Oh, yeah. In real life right now, nobody would tolerate a man doing that to a woman. No. If a man was yelling at a woman, if I was yelling at Jill going, there ain't no law here, there ain't no law here and robbing her, you know that I would actually be a reality TV star arrested and in jail and awaiting charges. But because it happened the opposite way. She gets to get away with it and continue being a horrible person and even bragging about it. Yeah, so... But <laughs> Like, if I'm going to, like, dig into that, if we're going to really play that out, first of all, if you approach her camp, uh, it, I mean, if we roll reversal and it's two men approaching a single yeah. woman, yeah. like, you you got in Jill's way and, like, kind of just pushed her out of the way and were like, no. And then she didn't continue to approach because she knows that a physical confrontation with you is futile, obviously. But if it's roll reversal, there's no Jill pushing you and another big man out of the way. You would just take the shit that you wanted to take that you just would have been successful that's that would have happened first of all yeah and then whether or not you would have ended up in jail i'm not sure because if it's still within the reality show there's a little bit of gray area there but most certainly the uproar would have been twice as much four times ten times yeah. as much for certain yeah. um she's got her messaging on her instagram turned off and she she has a cameo account you know what a cameo account is yeah i didn't yeah. sign up for one no it's <laughs> it's hilarious and you have to pay to message her um so i i have actually reached out to her and i'm gonna try and get her on as well because i would love because oh. i would love to have a conversation with her i know the look on your face you're like why the hell would you want to do that um but i mostly want to talk to her because this this whole podcast is talking about about talking 
right? So like, I want to have a conversation with everyone and anyone about all different kinds of things. And I am just so curious to like, I just want to step into that brain for a second. You know what I mean? I just, I want to know what the hell is going on in there. And that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about is how do you think, like, how do you think someone comes to be like that? Because I've wondered, like, did she have a poor relationship with her father or her mom or poor relationships with men in the past or something like that because she took to Amber so well and she didn't really get along well with Justin and she was really malicious in a lot of her behavior. Like, how do you think that comes to be someone to behave the way she behaved? So I haven't watched many of the things that she's her podcast or many of the things that she's she's done, little video clips. Many of the, my fans uh, have written me and uh, somebody some people say you need to uh, sue her for slant, the slanderous things that she's been saying. It's defamation that she's just making blatant lies up. I don't care. It's a waste of my time and a waste of my energy. And uh, I think a lot of people realize that you can't believe anything that she says. And going on that, I don't know if the things I've heard or the things that she said are even true because she lies a lot. So apparently she has said that she was abused as a child and she grew up and had a difficult life. I don't know what's true anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't know. But I do know how people be become the way that she was on the show. And uh, it's fear. It's fear in discovering yourself. You see, Alaska didn't make her that way. Alaska doesn't bring out anything in in someone that's not already there. Mm -hmm. And so when you shut off the noise of the city and you go into the forest, you can start to listen to yourself. You can start to hear your own thoughts and you get a lot of time alone and you get a lot lot of time to reflect on your strengths, your weaknesses, um, your, your, your personality. And if you don't like yourself, if you don't like um, what you represent, you have to face the harsh reality of dealing with this person who you are. You're out of the real world. You're out of this the hustle and bustle of the city and daily life. And you're in the woods alone and dealing with your insecurities. And so in many regards, I don't blame, I don't think that Jill and Amber's actions were hatred towards me. I think it was them fighting their own personal demons and them very fearful of what they're, they were discovering. So the fear in their eyes, I believe, was the weaknesses that were coming out the desperation that we don't want to be out here for weeks. Oh my God, this is horrible. That fear. And then looking at me and it was anger to them because I was cool, calm and collected. I enjoyed where I was and I wasn't complaining. So they didn't like seeing that. And so when you, when they looked at me, they saw their own weaknesses and that didn't make them feel good. Yeah. And so uh, I believe that's why they acted like that. And it's more so more about uh, them than it was anything that I did or me for who I am. They saw what they didn't want to see. And they had to deal with the harsh reality that they weren't prepared for the the situation and they were weak and weakness to them was wasn't uh, acceptable. Mm-hmm. So they lashed out and tried to fight. Yeah, I, I love so much of what you just said there. That's so into a lot of the stuff that I talk about on here. Um, so I, I talk about this priority pyramid. So everyone in the world has a pyramid of priorities in their life and there's a floating peak on the pyramid and that floating peak is the relationship with the self and then there's a gap between that and your relationship with everyone else in your life and typically the people that matter most to you and then everything else is up for debate like sense of meaning work hobbies whatever but those are definitely at the top for every person whether or not they recognize it those are the top things right and so essentially what you're saying is how she did not 
she they have likely not prioritized their relationship with their self and yeah. so then when they're put into this environment where their relationship with their self becomes so important for them to function properly because they don't have these distractions from like you said the hustle and bustle of the real world to deter their attention away from their self and they're just in alaska in the quiet then it comes to chaos because they don't want to now sort all that out and then their intention and their actions to to try and interact across this gap with the relationships with the other people around them becomes just freaking wild, wild west, crapshoot, do whatever you do to get through the situation, not actually considering your fellow man and their feelings or needs. You just got to get out of this. That's such, such awesome insight. Um, yeah. The So I want to, yeah, because you, you, you were, were talking about how it just would not have happened like that. And that's such a good rundown on how it would have, how it must have come to be that they behaved like that. And I think that's important because I think you were talking at one point about how like, because you said Alaska doesn't cause that to people or whatever, that people like she brought that there. And I find it fascinating that it's like what they had, what, 12 people? And it's like, she 16. seems like, yeah, 16, you're right. She seems like such an extreme individual on the, the whatever, like the perspective of how far someone goes in the direction of trying to win and not caring about people and not having enough empathy or compassion for your fellow man like her like big five personality traits or however you want to quantify it seems like she's such an anomaly because i've met people like her in real life i'm sure you've met people like her as well and you typically quickly distance yourself from them but yeah I don't think that those kind of people are one in 16. I don't think they're that free. You know what I mean? Like, I like to have a little bit more faith in humanity. So I just find it so fascinating that she ended up being on that show. What was, what's your personal experience? Because you've met so many people in your travels. Like, you've probably met in person way more people than I have. Would you say that those type of people are one in 16 or maybe more like one in a thousand or 10,000? I think, I think we have to uh, be observant of the culture and the country that we're talking about. Because the United States is the most individualistic nation on earth. It is off the charts, focused on me, myself, and I. And so when we're talking about this, we can't just say Canada, for instance. Canada's very low on the individualistic chart. So you guys are very caring. You're known to be super nice. The whole world loves you. In fact, when I travel, I sometimes, to avoid problems, they go, where are you from? I go, I'm from Canada. <laughs> just for clarity, just for we do have assholes here. They do exist, <laughs> just so we're clear. <laughs> Even your assholes are super friendly. Yeah, they can be. <laughs> so when, when you take it on that uh, when you go and you, you focus on that. So we're looking at the most individualistic nation on earth. And then within that, we're looking into uh, a specific demographic of survivalists and hunters. And then that even narrows it down even more. Um, we don't need to touch on, but then you could break it down to another group that narrows it down uh, into a group of highly controversial people. And that could be a political dynamic. And then I don't know anything about uh, her political affiliation, but based on her characteristics and her attitude, I could make a guess about her background and, and maybe some of her beliefs without knowing them. But we don't need to touch on that because that's very controversial in the U.S. right now. Yeah. So I think but no, knowing that it, it could make it more than one in 60. I think it could make it more common in that group. Yeah, so just with the 
kind of t- two points that you're talking about uh, the type of people that are hunters and survivalists i don't know how that might inf- i can't really put the pieces together on how that might influence that kind of characteristic but i think well i live Cisco a lot of the time when I'm in the U.S. And I have issues because I can't bring up anything with hunting in San Francisco because everyone's suspended. So if you uh, are a hunter, you also uh, are a pro Second Amendment and you are okay with killing animals. Okay. In San Francisco, whoa, I get in so many discussions because people don't understand why I would hunt. They don't understand why I would have a gun. And that is a totally different world for them. So that's just one particular uh, element, just being a survivalist in that environment. And you've got a lot of enemies. Yeah. So I just want to take a second to talk about that. I I just this year got my, I, my gun licenses in process. My physician acquisition license is going to take maybe eight months or something should get to me maybe november i don't know and i have my hunting license and my deer license and i'm going to start hunting and i came to this conclusion because some people that are listening might be like oh yeah hunting's awful or whatever i yeah. and in all fairness i was a vegetarian when i was three years old and i was raised raised vegetarian until 18 and i was raised on hunting is awful and evil and horrible and yeah. eating meat is awful and evil and horrible and so 18 i started eating meat not to get into that into any detail but now i'm at any i'm at a point in my life where i'm realizing that i have a terrible relationship with my food so uh, first of all as a meat eater i think about how i go into a grocery store and this ties into a lot of the stuff you've been talking about how society is currently constructed and i just buy a chunk of meat conveniently cut and wrap and i go scan it and i don't even have to talk to someone i swipe a piece of plastic on other plastic and i walk out the door and i got this chunk of meat no relationship with the animal no idea who processed it no idea who cut it like no relationship with the food at all Uh, and it just feels so empty and weird and wrong and i want to have a better relationship with my food i want to go kill an animal myself and I want to process it myself and then I want to cook it myself so that I know right from life to the table what happened and I want to be responsible for that and I I think it's important to touch on anyone that's listening to this that might think that hunting's bad it's ridiculousness because even if you're vegan unless you're eating only shit you're growing yourself you contribute to death because monocrop agriculture causes a shitload of death they kill small animals and the pesticides just ruin uh, ecosystems like in abundance this is just abundantly available information now so unless you're growing your food yourself and causing no death and only eating the food you grow you're responsible for death so i'm just trying to take on that responsibility that is like if i'm gonna go look down my sights and have like a sinking feeling in my stomach that i don't want to kill something so beautiful then good if i kill it and i cry when i get to it when it dies then good if i feel disgusted while i'm trying to go through its like organs and everything then good because i fucking deserve to experience those feelings because that's taking responsibility for the kill absolutely and um you said it and you described it in such a beautifully romantic way but it, it is um, it is a beautiful process to know uh, that you that you can sustain yourself that you don't have to depend on on a store to 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 feed you that it, I love that idea it's, it's it's just totally natural and um, in fact when I was younger years ago I wanted that experience 
So I went to an auction and I bought a piglet and I took that piglet and I put it on a farm and I fed that pig and I got that pig fat. And then after seven months when that pig was about 130 pounds, I killed that pig and butchered it and I cooked it and I fed my family. My brothers, I don't have you know, a wife or kids, but my brothers <laughs> and uh, friends and they loved it. And they said that, I don't know, man, but the fact that you actually raised this pig and you butchered it, this was amazing. This was the best pork you've ever made. And that made me feel wonderful. It made me feel just fantastic, the whole process. And then you go to uh, a grocery store and you don't feel that. You don't feel that same process. And so I, I really had, I think people really need to complete that to understand um, this and, and not just hate me because I eat meat. People do just label you and say, oh, you're a meat eater. You have no care and no empathy for, for uh, life and the, the earth. And I go, no, no, you're putting me in a little box. I don't fit in that box. Yeah. If anything, I, I know more about Earth and, and have more respect for Earth than you do in your little world uh, buying things um, at the organic aisle at the overpriced grocery store that you go to. Mm -hmm. And like, do they really know what is required for the that apple or orange to get the organic sticker yeah. on it? Do those requirements yeah. mean less death? Like, are you sure? Like, no, no, nobody's an exception. The fact of the matter is you're taking on more responsibility for your food than they are. And they don't like that kind of truth. I, I don't think. And I, I think another issue is like that they don't like that hunters fund the majority of preservation of wildlife. Like if it wasn't for people hunting, a lot more animals would be extinct because yeah. they're kept around so that people can hunt them. It's just craziness. Um, so I, I want to, I think, I think we're at a point where I can comfortably challenge you a little bit. I've, I've loved this conversation. This has been a blast. So I want to challenge you on a couple of things, if that's okay with you. Sure. There was, you were saying that if there was a season two, that you would like to see no cash prize. So yeah, I, I got to challenge you on that. Because first of all, like that removes so much excitement for television, like for it to be an exciting show and get the funding or for people to be interested in watching it. Like if people are like, oh, people are out here surviving for a pat on the back, like nobody's going to give a shit to watch that. But I think more importantly okay. is you don't have kids and I have a little daughter and I know that if I was on a show like this, the only thing that would keep me to try and outlast would be that I'm doing it for her, right? So like I'm well, trying to get the money to give her a better life. Does that make sense? I understand that. Um, I think that there is a um, there's a group of, of, of people and um, I think that you you would never get them if you kept the cash prize. There's a group of people who do things for an old fashioned belief of honor and um, they do things such as they're the ones who bike around the world and they don't talk about it. You could sit at a cafe and have a coffee with them and they won't brag about what they've done, but they might tell you a story. And it, it is through that story that they mention a few things. And if you are a fellow traveler with similar experiences, you pick up, oh, you've been there. Oh, you've done that. And that is a, a, a special type of pride that uh, is only shared amongst a few people. And if you have that cash prize, you won't get those gloriously strong individuals. And one of the races is, I think it's called the Bradley. Bradley's uh, Extreme Marathon. I think it's 100 miles of the most grueling uh, race imaginable. And you have to finish it within a certain time. And this past race last year had three finishers, which is extremely rare because for several years they had no finishers. You don't win anything. Hmm. You just win a little medal 
that says you completed it. And then you get to uh, have beers with some people and talk about your experiences. And that is so exciting. And it's so intense. If I do believe that people would turn in because they would turn in to to kind of be curious. What is driving these people to do this? Sorry, what is sorry, driving saying people? turn in like as in tune in like to watch? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To watch. Yep. So it, it, I don't think I don't think um, everyone who tunes in is focused on the mon million dollars, the money. I don't believe so. I believe people want to see uh, uh, the human spirit uh, beat and overcome anything. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to believe. I really want to believe that. Um, and so, well, the only way we'd find out is if we actually saw a show that that did it because. The Bradley race isn't so well televised. It doesn't have the budget to to produce a, a well-documented show. So the only people who tune in from around the world or other enthusiasts that really have a passion for this and they watch it on on youtube and check in but it's not on like a big platform like netflix mm -hmm. but there may be something untapped yet yeah so because outlast, outlast is a new type of reality show really yeah it i mean it's it is it is new with the team dynamic and the people being able to interact because alone the participants are so far away from each other they just cannot possibly run into each other yeah um so a couple uh rebuttals to that training thought when it comes to these people that you're talking about that are like you're talking about extreme humility people that have no interest in bragging that just do things to do them yeah. i would argue that those people probably won't apply for a reality show <laughs> They probably won't want to be on TV in the first place. Um, and then well, then the other yeah, follow-up is uh, Alone Season 7. There's a man named Roland. I would highly recommend you look into that because this guy is hard as nails, live off the land. He's only got his mom and nothing else. And he doesn't give a shit about anyone or anything. And he still does it. This show that has a cash prize. But like he doesn't do it for the money is the point. But he still participates. Yeah, I would be really interested in you checking him out because he's uh he's he's a character he fits within what you're saying like a guy that if you ran into him and you talked to him you'd be like holy shit this guy's got some stories on, on the on the show just a little spoiler for you he kills a i think a buffalo and they're given they're just given regular kind of tools that you guys were given and i think he shot his last arrow and this buffalo was not quite dead and so he had his hunting knife and he ran up and stabbed it and ran away and ran up and stabbed it and ran away <laughs> he killed a fucking buffalo with a knife like just nuts <laughs> but yeah like i so, get your point that you're making it, well in that that one question you had is with among those people and it, it, there's a division within the group and i am one of the, the subgroups of that i believe because many of these people um are extremely wealthy they have an enormous budget so you know sir edmund Hillary was not a poor guy. He 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 climbed mountains which are incredibly expensive to climb. You you, you know I don't have thirty. What is, I think it might be forty five thousand now to climb Everest. I don't have that money to throw around. Jesus. So it's it's extremely expensive to do these types of adventurous um, challenges. But there are people who would see the advantage to being on a show and testing their skills because Netflix would foot the bill. So going out to Alaska and doing this whole show, people uh, have said, oh, you know, it's a sh shame that you lost. And I'm thinking, well, guys, you know, had I done this trip on my own, it likely would have been around $20,000 because mm -hmm. I on a plane to Alaska, I stored my truck and then I uh, took a float plane to a little village 
took a boat. There were bear guards. There was medical staff out there. I had insurance. So this was all quite expensive. I loved the experience and I did win that adventure package mm -hmm. holiday. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the few of us that are out there that love these types of adventures and really want to challenge ourselves, but we don't have the money to afford it, would be signing up to do this challenge, even if it had no money, because oh. it would be an opportunity to really test your skills. While we're on this, I really, I really want to ask something. Were you guys compensated in any way? Because like some people have work and they got to make money and they got bills to pay and they're gone. You're gone for like, what, 24 days or whatever? Like, yeah, no, we, we didn't, we, well, they they reimbursed us for a few costs that uh, were associated with getting over there. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, we didn't make money. No, we, there was we, no was like a, just amount that you were given to be on the show, like a few grand or something. Oh, no, not, not a few grand. We were given a few hundred oh. just for participating. <laughs> uh, I'm talking under five hundred dollars. Oh, okay. <laughs> so awesome. It was it, it, even if you worked at McDonald's, you would have made more money at McDonald's working yeah. uh, for a, a week than you would have made with the show. Yeah, you didn't exactly make it like a bandit. That's too bad. Okay. No, no. Um, so, and some people think, "Oh, you're you're on Netflix. You must be loaded." And I'm like, "No, I I I didn't get paid, so I <laughs> yeah. you know I, I I definitely would like uh, that that." beer if you were going to give it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not some star or, or actor now because I've been on Netflix. Yeah. So you're talking <laughs> about like this, uh, talking about how you normally work alone. You said yeah. that on the show. Um, so first of all, I, I know you haven't quite watched or anything, but you've been told a lot, mentioned a lot. Would you ever apply to be on alone? So uh, Grant, uh, the creator of Outlast, is the creator of Alone. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe he let them know that I'm uh, I'm open to it. Yeah, dude, that would be awesome. I would love to see you on alone. That would be really <laughs> I gotta, cool. I got to have my hunting, though. Yes. So I'm not a big, big hunter. Uh, so I, I definitely have to practice a lot before I go out. Yeah, well, and like with a recurve bow, too. Like a recurve bow is so hard, so hard. Wow. Yeah, because like how much bow shooting have you done? I've used a compound bow a few times. So That's you've never it. shot a recurve? Oh, man. no. Like no. like your, your ability to be accurate with a compound bow within 20 yards like i practiced for uh, uh like a few weeks and i was able to like get within something like that with a compound bow from 20 yards like recurve bow it's gonna be hard to hit the target from 20 yards in your first couple of weeks like you just it's so incredibly difficult you have to be next level good and practicing all the time so i would highly highly recommend if you were going to do it to practice with a recurve bow don't even bother with a compound bow just practice 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 because like and what about trap they get a lot yeah, of trapping yeah yeah so you could like they did i don't know what they're called but you set up like a, a stick and a rock and like a thing with like tension on it or something so that when the things hit the rock falls and then they set up like you get a one of the things you can bring is like a wire to set snares um so yeah if you watch it you'll see they do a lot of snaring a lot of people get bunnies and stuff with snares some of them get mice with the little rock fall trap things so yeah there's a lot of that stuff you can choose to bring a ghillie net if you want um yeah it's you're you're definitely a lot more prepared than you guys were and like you don't have the time constraints and shit the big issue that i'd be interested to see you work with though 
and then I would be really interested to talk to you about after is you're also sent with like 40 pounds of camera equipment and you have to oh. film everything that you do. So you're responsible oh, wow. for the filming. Yes. Yeah. That is probably one of the major hurdles on the Alone Show that you would look back to being on Outlast and be like, shit, I wish I had a camera guy here. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So you did say that I think on the other one, Buddy had asked you about like the race to the end. Oh yeah. There's a couple things I want to ask about this. So the race to the end, a lot of people were like, oh, it's called Outlast, not foot race when you're starving or whatever. I don't know, whatever. That's how they wanted to run their show. I don't see a problem with it because it's like, how well prepared were you up until that point? That's like, how well nourished were you? How well did you survive? How good of health did you keep in? That's going to determine how well you can navigate and how quickly you can travel. So it's like, it's really not that critical. With that said, your attempt to team up with um, Delta, Charlie. Charlie, Charlie. Yeah. So when you guys went, when you went to team up with Charlie, your last stitch effort, oh man, like I think you were saying that you thought Nick didn't like you. Yeah. Well, Paul, uh, from left to right, it was Paul, Angie, Seth and then Nick and uh, Paul, Angie and Seth, they were standing and Nick was sitting on the ground. Mm. And I don't know, but like proper etiquette or just mm-hmm. manners, you never shake somebody's hand while you're sitting on the ground. Yeah. Meanwhile, dude's just exhausted because he's been out there. <laughs> just... Yeah, I thought he hated me. Yeah. I, and and there there's one th- reason why is because uh, before the show started, we we were in the same hotel and we were taking pictures on picture day by a, by a, 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 a glacier. And um, Nick came up to me with his hand out and he says, hi, I'm Nick. And I think he said he, where he was from. And I looked at him with my hand up like this. And I said, I, I'm sorry, uh, I, I'm following the, uh, the, the silence. There was a, a rule that we shouldn't talk to anybody. Oh. Production said, do not talk to anyone. And I was following it to the T. Yeah. I did not talk to anybody. So when Nick offered his hand and told me his name, I said, oh, I'm sorry. Oh. I, uh, I'm not talking to anybody. And he was like, okay, I understand. And so flashback to seeing him sat down there. And I looked and I said, son of a bitch. He's I didn't shake his hand and tell him my name. Yeah. <laughs> so it turned out that actually Nick thought that I gave a wonderful uh, story and yeah, excuse. He and he's totally believed me. I did not know that Paul was in cahoots with Jill. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it'd be impossible to know that at the time. So then I got yeah. I got a follow up question to that. If they had have taken and they didn't, they weren't really going to take you, right? You your offer was I'm still team Bravo. I'm just going to hang out nearby. And soon as it comes to victory, I'll just pop my flare and I'm out. I just want to see the bad people get justice and I want to see goodness yeah. prevail, right? Which is essentially yeah. what it was. And I, I, that's what I loved so much. And when they turned you down, I was like, bastards, like that was such a good deal. And part of me wondered, like, was there any chance with what you brought across when you made that uh, suggestion? Was there any chance that you could have just gone and set up camp nearby? I didn't think of that in that one of the podcasts I've done, somebody mentioned that. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I never asked it. I, they said that you had to be on a team. You were team and Bravo. I, yeah, but <laughs> I, well, they, the thing was, they said that you had to finish on a team. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking, we didn't finish. We weren't even close to finishing. So would it have been possible? This is the only what if I have. Yeah. I was talking about what ifs. Yeah. This is the only one. Yeah. And it was given to me. 
by some other podcaster. And I'm like, damn it. I, I did the whole show without any regrets, but I got one what if. <laughs> so the, the what if is what if I set up camp and just waited? Because in three days, Angie shot the flare yep. because she didn't poop for 24 days. Yep. I didn't know that. So had had I been there three more days, they probably would have been like, hey, come on over. Yeah. So Was there a cap to the teams? I would they have been? Definitely, I could have definitely rebuilt my camp and I was strong enough to be out there. I, it wouldn't have phased me three yeah. more days. You were still like well-nourished enough that you could have just yeah. reestablished even just a tiny little yeah. single person shelter and made a fire and, yeah, absolutely. and you had the supplies necessary to do that yeah. with you fuck that sucks <laughs> sorry um well um was there any rule that teams weren't allowed to have more than four no uh so they they said we asked per for permission from from everybody and they said five is okay oh okay so five five was was absolutely okay and also another stipulation is our contracts only ever said we'd only win 250,000 each. Mm -hmm. So it was always assuming that the, I think the, the guy says a million dollars, yeah. but yeah, but that's a million for four people on a team. Yeah. So even if there's, uh, if there's not four people, it's not going to be a million, it's going to be 250,000 each. Yeah. So had it five people. And we asked for permission. We still would have gotten two hundred fifty thousand each. It wouldn't have split the money. So then, with Team Charlie winning, did they only make two fifty each, and they only paid out seven fifty for the whole team? I believe so. Huh. I believe so. Our, I, I know our contracts state that we were only playing for two fifty. Interesting. Well, I have to ask. I got Paul lined up for later on this week. So I'm going to be chatting with him about uh, it. I'll have to ask him. Um, yeah, I again, you know, I, I didn't make it to the end, so I don't know what he's pulling in. Mm -hmm. So let's let's imagine these this what if the, if you actually setting up camp. And so let's do two scenarios. First, what if you actually set up camp and then it was in you you had thought of it like you're on your own still team Bravo and it gets to the end and you get that care package come down that's like race on sunrise how do you think you would have fared racing alone versus those three guys oh i would have been running <laughs> <laughs> i would have been running you, obviously they had to hike slowly because everybody was all tired and different fatigue but um yeah i if, if there was a care package and i wouldn't have taken a shortcut i would have i mean i probably would have uh, jumped through the water like they would have yeah that wouldn't have been a, an issue, but um, yeah, I, I I would have rather stuck to the shoreline than go through the woods like Joe and Amber did. Yeah, that was a really dumb, dumb decision. Yeah, I would have just stuck the long way around the shore and ran. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would have loved to have seen that just lone Javier followed by like a camera on a helicopter sprinting <laughs> through the mud. That'd be awesome. Okay, so other scenario: what if you had been accepted and then because you thought it was outlast, right? They, and everyone thought it was outlast and nobody thought that there was yeah. going to be a foot race at any point, correct? Yeah. So then if it got to that point where there was, because when you made this offer that was like, hey, it gets to the end, they go out, I'll just shoot my flare and I'll be out too. You guys can win, no problem. You made that offer thinking it was going to be outlast, not outrun. So if you had made that offer, they took you up on it and you were ready to shoot your flare after they outlasted or whatever. Once you got the note that there was a foot race, would you have still shot your flare or would you have tried to race? Well, um, so I want to clarify a few things there. That's if they didn't want me on their team and they just wanted me to. Correct. Yeah. If they didn't want me on their team and they just wanted me to to be there while and defeat the other ones. Um, my whole strategy was literally to set up camp and a fire right across the river from Alpha because they were really close to the water there in a really terrible campsite. <laughs> Just tarps hanging from the trees. They didn't even actually spend any time building anything. Yeah. No structure. I would have sat there, had a fire, and been drinking tea every single day. 
And I would have been, hello, how is it over there? Cold enough for you? I would have just killed them with kindness <laughs> and irritated them for as long as I could. And they would have just literally probably been so irritated that they would have been demoralized. Because Justin told me that Jill hadn't pooped for three weeks. Really? So she was full of shit. <laughs> and on the verge of having some serious problems. Yeah. So Jill was probably going to have to pull very soon. Yeah. And if Jill pulled, Amber would have crumbled. Amber wouldn't have been able to be out there oh, alone. Alone? God, no. No, I don't see that no. being possible. So another thing... That was the and if, if we would have defeated them and, and uh, if uh, Charlie actually didn't want me to still be a part of their team officially, just for the sake of defeating Alpha, I would have loved to have pulled the, the trigger of on the flare just to be in the boat and sing a little song to Jill. <laughs> That I beat her. So you would, you would, you would have pulled the flare instead of racing. It was, it would have been up to, uh, to Charlie. Okay. Because if Charlie could still adopt me, if if Alpha was defeated, and then uh, the option was for Charlie to accept me onto their team fully, then uh, I would join them, and we would have won money, and it, it wouldn't have mattered how much. Yeah. It wouldn't have been divided. Mm -hmm. So that was totally up to them, but. I, I think losing Am uh, Angie, I uh, knowing that Angie was gone out of her control, and uh, I think after a few, maybe another week, they would have seen the benefits of having me. Oh yeah. I mean, I was making I was making tea for me and Brian, and we were just chilling and mm -hmm. with Devil's Club tea which is kind of a, um, a sedative. So it kind of makes you really relaxed. And uh, had those guys just been able to have tea with me around the fire and chatted and joked with uh, Justin, Joe, and Amber from over the river, they couldn't swim across. They were, it was too cold by then. Mm -hmm. And they were definitely, they didn't have the energy to do that. I think it would have been hilarious. Mm. And the guys would have probably definitely adopted. Yeah, so. yeah, that would have been awesome to see. So one more thing I want to challenge you on is you yeah. said being alone is easier. Yeah, I I think you need to watch alone <laughs> because oh, well. so many of these people just they're really good. Like they're really good at living on the land. They love the wilderness. They have excellent skills. They're well fed. And you'll randomly it'll be like day 14 and they're just sobbing and they got their yeah. phone in their hand ready to call and you're like this wow. person seems so strong and so confident and they're just like i can't do it i need to see my kids i can't be out here so with this i talked about this with a a, a cyclist who interviewed me um i've been traveling alone for uh 16 years and uh i've been on the bicycle riding alone for thousands of miles and I, there's some days i think the longest i went not speaking to anybody was two months on the road Jeez. camping in the middle of nowhere and not even seeing people for weeks and um i've been there i've done that uh there is some beauty in being out there and not seeing somebody it is definitely weird to reintegrate into society and try to speak to people after being alone for a long time because you speak really loud <laughs> <laughs> to scream at people and you don't you don't even let them speak you're just speaking at them and you sometimes scare them <laughs> and you have to tell them I'm sorry, I haven't talked to anybody for two weeks <laughs> or two months. And then they're like, oh, okay, yeah. okay. You're like, sorry, I'm just a savage that's living off the land. Yeah, so uh, I don't think that that alone time uh, is, is as scary for me. Yeah. Uh, the most challenging for alone would yeah would be the essential skills that they they have that that you seem to be explaining is that uh, their skill in hunting and gathering 
I need to improve those before I go on a loan. But I think my strength would, would actually be alone. Yeah. <laughs> would be being alone. Yeah, I think so. I think you're well prepared for that. So if you watch season one, the guy in season one is not, he does not hunt. He does not like the guy that wins. He just oh, yeah? sleeps in a little cave and eats slugs and seaweed and like nothingness. And like in the camera. Oh, yeah? oh yeah. Like he looks in the camera and he's like, I just, I just slept the last two days. I haven't even left the cave like just so and you should see some of the people that win like there's another guy that i think the only real meat he got was like a mouse like it's really impressive to see what some of these people do and then there's people that win like roland who takes down a fucking buffalo or an ox or whatever it is i don't know like just this oh, massive muskox. yeah muskox that's it yeah I, somebody mentioned that before a yeah. muskox yeah 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 so he, he kills a muskox and it's like okay this guy's just on another level um so obviously <laughs> if you have those skills and you do that that would be really advantageous advantageous but you don't absolutely need them and i think even if yours were moderate that would be good enough to participate and put in a good run on the show i would i love that show i would love to see you on that show i loved the show outlast and i loved seeing you on outlast like you were by far my favorite person on there just to be clear um cool yeah yeah man it was it was so fun to watch because like i don't know i just love seeing a light within all the chaos you know someone who is there for good and not for evil and won't let evil happen brian was that too he was like yeah. i know i know that you didn't love his exit but I, I i empathize with him on that you know like well i didn't know until i saw the show how you know fully how he left so i kind of kind of forgave him for that he's right what he said in the show is absolutely right he knows me and he said i would have convinced him to stay and he didn't want to have that conversation mm -hmm. because he would have felt worse and yes you better believe i would have talked his ear off trying to get his day mm -hmm. yeah so speaking of which me is... and Brian are connecting though you we're, guys are we're gonna connected? be doing, yeah we're gonna i'm going to florida in the summer and then i'm gonna get him on a bicycle and we're gonna do a bicycle adventure nice you guys gonna video it yeah we're gonna throw it on youtube nice that's <laughs> awesome do you have a youtube channel yeah hungry guy on a bicycle awesome perfect so my tiktok can... is hungry guy on a bicycle as well there you go <laughs> people can check that out there that's great um on that note, is there anything else that, like, what are the major points in the show after you, because you're in your own world there when you watched it after that stood out, excuse me, that you realized, didn't realize happened while you were there? Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know about Angie's constipation. Mm. Um, had I known about that, or I mean, so there was, uh, I know three berries out there that could have alleviated that. Mm. Um, as simple as, as eating a, a lot of them. Uh, there's a, a Swedish berry, lingonberry. They're good, they're tasty, but if you eat a lot of them, you, you'll have you'll, you'll have uh, a bowel move. So it's unfortunate that no nobody could have treated her for that because having that constipation for that long, and there's also the question, and I'm still curious, is was she communicating? Mm -hmm. Was she actually telling people this? Or was it a secret? Does she keep it a secret? Because, uh, you know, as I said earlier, I actually asked. Yeah. I was asking Brian, did you poo today? And Brian's like, yes, I pooed today. I was like, okay, good. We're happy. We're pooing. We're peeing. Everybody's good. So in my camp, I would have been asking. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. That was a, the other surprise was um, uh, and and uh, Amber or no. Andrea with the drinking the water. Yeah. I that was really unfortunate because I was hoping I kind of hoped that she was she looked strong as hell. I, I was hoping her to for her to go f further. Um, yeah, the, the so whole 
poop talk thing. So I have this kind of funny thing with my fiance that early on in our relationship, we had the poop talk. When her and I first started dating, I was like, okay, we need to have the poop talk. And I sat her down and I was like, you, if you're around me and you need to fart, fart. And if you're at my house and you got to go poop, you go poop. You do not hold those things in because it is bad for your health. And I do not want to be the reason why you do that, right? I had uh, my brother, when I was living at home, had a girlfriend that because of life circumstances or maybe she wanted to, I don't remember, she lived with us for a little while and she did not poop in our house because she was too uncomfortable because she was too proper wow. for a lady. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it's a female thing too. I don't know. But she ended up going to the hospital because she didn't poop at our house. She had oh. too much. It was like weeks that she didn't poop. And it's just oh insane. Yeah, she just didn't want to poop at our house. So we had the poop talk. So I love that you had the poop talk with all of your teammates. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So the other thing you said, uh, Andrea, and then... The, with the water and getting out. That that was really unfortunate. Um, apart from that, of course, the uh, it seemed more sad and disturbing to watch uh the unraveling of uh alpha with uh justin's poop gate mm-hmm. did he he fart did it and then forcing him to explain that he was having stomach problems and he shat himself that was both embarrassing for him but also the conversation that led up to it and the, how the two women amber and jill were just spiraling into this uh, delusion yes exactly it was it was uh that was scary that was uh out of a horror it was so disturbing and uh, really unfortunate but uh to me it seemed Justin... almost like psychosis like they were in this yes like different world like this story yeah. about him stealing their shit and like stealing extra yeah. amounts of fish and stuff and then when he gave his explanation being like look this fish is causing me to shit and i think you said before that it's because that fish was no good and yeah it, it's like it, it just seems so reasonable of an explanation for for why he moved stuff around because he's like I'm gonna shit it's myself a, and then they're just and we don't we didn't have anything no we, we had so few things out there he couldn't steal anything it's not like it's not like you had uh, your precious gems in a bag yeah and you had your your money and your purse yeah we literally were stinky we didn't bathe we had horribly stinky clothes it, it just it was so unreal to watch that and uh Actually, and then, then something I wanted to ask about Justin was um, I I'm under the impression that when he left and he you saw how he used the knife to cut the tarps and everything when he left Alpha to go to Charlie and like that was the reason why Charlie said no to him. You remember that part? Yeah, I I'm under the impression that if he hadn't been previously like coerced into thievery and it hadn't have spiraled into such chaos that he probably wouldn't have behaved like that. I don't think he would have like damaged their property or damaged the tent before leaving if he hadn't have already been like if it was out of the gate and he was on your team, say, for example. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe he would have done that uh, at all. However, I, I, I mentioned this on Reddit earlier because people said if Justin didn't cut their tarps and, and sabotage Alpha, then he would have been fine on Charlie and he could have finished. But um, people, I want to stress, he stole those sleeping bags. <laughs> yeah. So it was right in line for him to sabotage Alpha Camp. Yeah. It wasn't like he was doing anything out of the ordinary. They here had a, he had literally stole sleeping bags. I, and uh, uh, you know, had Justin joined Charlie and then took all of Alpha's sleeping bags and threw them in the river and burned down their camp. <laughs> He would have also been in line with the same behavior that Alpha was already doing. And then Justin could have approached Charlie, defeated the girls, Demon Squad, and then said, guys, 
I'm at your mercy. I've defeated your enemy. Take me on and let's finish. And they would have finished. And I think people, maybe the fans would have loved that too, because Justin would have burned down uh, 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 Alpha and tried to maybe seek uh, some dignity and apologize, realizing that he was on a bad squad, and then go to Charlie and, and say, will you take me? I'm sorry for, for what I've done. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make it right. Yeah, I found and it. Had they, I don't know. Maybe, maybe everybody would have accepted him then. I found it interesting that they took him on technically, and then found this out after, and then kicked him off. And they, That's, yeah, they so said, weird. Yeah, they said at the beginning of the show that there will be no voting off, right? So you, I don't, I don't really understand that. I don't know why. They, it, it's because I, I saw that in the show they said, you know, when you came on and we accepted you, we didn't know this. But now that we know this, we, we, we would have changed our mind about accepting you. Yeah. So that kind of the way they explained it was not really it wasn't like it wasn't exactly voting off. It was just saying that we had we didn't know the full story. Yeah. Kind of. But it still didn't make any sense because they accepted him. Yeah. For stealing bags in the first place. Yeah. So it's like really it wasn't a moral high ground you were on yeah. or anything. It sounds like picking straws. I don't know. Like. It, yeah. Like, yeah. And that, that stupid letter that Joe wrote was saying, if you guys want to play this kind of game. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I, I'm like, lady, do you remember me saying you're cheating? And she's like, we ain't cheating because there are no rules. Oh, goodness. yeah. I, I loved uh, Seth's reading the letter after after Nick read the letter and Seth's. Well, she spelled Charlie, right? <laughs> that, oh, that was, yeah, that's true that was oh God, so that's... good i loved that um so actually out of curiosity i definitely have paul lined up i might be getting nick on i haven't scheduled the time with him yet but i want to chat with nick as well um and then i'm gonna do everything i can to get jill on i do want to talk to her because like there's so many questions so you pay her? what you're gonna pay her to get on no oh i thought you had to pay on cameo to get her on no no i had to pay on cameo to message her and i Oh. And like the message is like 250 characters. So my initial message, she responded and was like, oh, yeah, I can make my I can adjust my prices or something like that. And I was like, oh, no, 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 this is just a hobby for me. Like, I can't I don't have any funds. And then she's like, OK, well, you'll have to ask Netflix. And then she gave me an email to email someone at Netflix. I emailed them and I haven't heard back. But you and Paul and Nick are all like, yeah, I'll ask Netflix for you. But she's like, yeah, you can ask Netflix, which is funny to me. Um, but she she eventually turned off the pay to message feature. And so we've been corresponding a little bit. And I think she's interested in being on. Uh, but we'll see. It's just uh, like I, it's kind of my main message with the, this podcast. And what I'm trying to do is I don't want to be a platform that only platforms one type of people like I love you I'd love to have a beer with you I'd love to go for a bike ride with you like I'd love to hang out with you and that's awesome So I'd love to have you on my podcast But I think that I should have the opposite end of the spectrum on my podcast as well because I think that's what talking is all about I think that's what communication is 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 just trying to understand everyone and I'll try yeah. my hardest But I may never understand her <laughs> But I'm gonna do everything I can no, There's from what the few things I've heard um and and what she's saying and what the things that she's emailed the group of us the cast members it's it's um it's disturbing it's um she needs to take responsibility for her actions um uh, and she needs to just learn from them and move on she's getting all this hate uh because she refuses to take any responsibility and admit that that uh the way she she acted was just very childish so um you know there's only so much there's only so much empathy that 
you could have for a person if they keep doubling down, doubling down, and then literally trying to invent a totally different scenario and trying to make me into a bad guy and say that she was the Mother Teresa of the woods and trying to uh, save everybody in the competition by getting me out. That's what I've heard she said. And it's just so crazy. That... It's like, guys, I'd never do anything to you. I, we, we talked seven times. We only met and talked seven times. I'm like, I, you don't even know me. <laughs> yeah. You never talk. Yeah, that's crazy. So weird. So weird. Wow. Well, I, on that note, if I were to get Jill on, would there be anything that you would want to say to her or that you would want me to ask her? Um, No, no, mm. nothing. Okay. That's, that's all good. So I definitely am going to have Paul on and I'm, I'm going to do my best to get Nick on. Is there anything that you would want to ask Paul or say to him? No, you know, I'll, I'll save it for reunion. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Good reunion show. Yeah. I'll save it for that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, um, I, I, we've, we've filled like two hours and 40 minutes here. So I think, I'll, oh. yeah, I think I'll, wow. I mean, realize. yeah, me either. I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Like I really, really appreciate your time and your thoughts. This has been so much fun. And I know that I could honestly keep asking you questions and talking about this stuff, but we both got lives we got to get to, and I want to respect your time and your life. Um, is there, so I got one, I got just a couple of finishing points. There's a question I ask try to ask everyone if you imagine the human consciousness as a computer screen and there's a little man inside your head watching the computer screen it's a terrible analogy but just bear with um and you know how people put sticky notes on the side of their laptop screens or their computer screens to try and remember things if you could write something on a sticky note that would just appear in the consciousness of all humans in the world what would you write on that sticky note oh okay i think i said it earlier <clears throat> try to live your life without having what ifs no what ifs yeah no what what ifs that would definitely fit on a sticky note no, what, yeah. yeah on a sticky note yeah i like that that's awesome that's a really good one um is there anything that you have for me for like notes on any way that i could make this whole experience for you better or any way i could do the podcast better or anything like that um no everything was actually good it was good um is this going to be video or yeah yeah like it mostly audio i have a youtube channel this is like my 11th episode i've only just started this i don't have a huge following but um my i'm going to put it up on youtube eventually i only have my first video up on youtube right now it's just way faster to export the audio files right i haven't taken the time to export all the video files and upload them all because they're all lengthy and they take a lot of time to do that and like i don't know i i own a gym and i'm a personal trainer i got a lot of other stuff to do like this is not my main thing maybe one day it will be but uh yeah the, it will be well fun. just uh when you upload it wherever you upload it so the my instagram my tiktok and my uh youtube are hungry guy on a bicycle yeah and then I also have a webpage, hungryguyonabicycle.com. So just include those in there, please. Definitely. And uh, yeah, so that'd be great. Yeah. Everything was good. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Uh, and I really appreciate your time. We will end it there. Hey, you listening to this right now. You, yes, you. I appreciate that you've listened to it this far. That's awesome. And that means that you at least enjoyed it or else you would have stopped it and went and done something else. And it would be really cool if you could share it with someone. I'm sure you know somebody that might also enjoy it. So just, you know, hit the little share button and there'll be like a link you can copy and you can just text it to your BFF Jill. I don't know if you know a Jill. I don't know. Just somebody. Just share it with one person and I will be forever grateful. Thank you. Have a great day.